This is Joe Bob Briggs. And Darcy. And you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 195 of Horror Movie Podcast, and it's brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons and by Shudder, the Netflix for horror. You can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and promo code HMP. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. I'm Gilman Joel Robertson, and I'm joined by your horror hosts... Dave Dr. Shark Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh. How do you go about getting an exorcism? <laughs> well, we'll find out. Maybe. Who knows how you get an exorcism? Because we're talking about cursed films. For this episode, we are going to focus exclusively on the Shudder original series, Cursed Films. And we'll share our thoughts on each of the five episodes. We will also bring you an interview with Jay Cheel, who is the filmmaker behind the series and a host on the Film Junk podcast. So this will be a kind of an unusual episode, I would say. Would you guys agree with that statement? Yeah, rather than a Shudder-sponsored Screaming Online segment, we're kind of doing a Shudder-sponsored episode. So uh, focus just primarily on the cursed film series just i thought it'd be a fun thing to do it's also a way to show our uh, sponsors that we've got their backs <laughs> during this time of crisis so hopefully they'll have ours too but yeah i thought i don't know i just thought this would be a fun thing to focus on well i would agree with you and i actually really enjoy the series um I will throw you both under the bus to say uh, only one of us watched every episode. That has nothing to do with the fact that he was overcompensating because he apparently watched no movies for the upcoming episode. But <laughs> <laughs> but that said, um, yes, I'm excited about this. But before we dive into this conversation, uh, we had contemplated maybe, you know, just for, for, a, for a moment or two, discussing some upcoming horror movie news. Because there's honestly, there's a couple things I really just wanted to talk about. And I'm sure everybody's listening to this knows these by this point. By the time we're recording this and it goes out, I'm sure this is old news to everybody. But I still wanted to just kind of gush just for a minute or two because yeah, I'm excited. Let's do it. All right. So the, the thing I wanted to kick it off with is as many of you probably know by now there is going to be a scream five not a we don't want to mess with wes's legacy which i totally respect and love that that's their attitude but we're now at a place where uh the legacy will be messed with on some level because they're making one so it is going to be made by the directors of one of my fa i think all of our 
one of our favorite movies from last year, uh, Ready mm-hmm. or Not. So, um, yeah, which yeah. when I heard that, I was totally pumped. But the rumor mill has, of course, been going full throttle as to who would be returning. Is this going to be a full on remake, which I think personally would have been a horrible idea. Um, but or are they going to do maybe the Halloween 2018 thing and just kind of pick up i would say if you're gonna do that to pick up after scream 2 because i love scream 2 and and this is totally my own bias and i mean somebody out there be like no you gotta include scream 3 and then somebody say no scream 4 i think it's probably gonna include all of them but if they do a hard reboot after any ones as a sort of a new sequel i imagine it would be the first scream like that's where they would continue it yeah i don't see any reason to include scream 2 if you're gonna take that route because i don't think it's better than Scream 3. I think Scream 3 is better in my opinion. I know Ooh, that them's fighting words. varying opinions. <laughs> there, them's fighting words, buddy. That's uh, and okay. I think Scream 4 is unwatchable, but really, I, <laughs> I don't, you know, it's funny. I have not watched that movie in years and I want to revisit it because I don't remember hating it. I just remember feeling it because I, 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 I actually like Scream 3 and I know there's a lot of people that did not obviously, jo- you know, Josh not included in that comment, but I know a lot of people didn't, but I always liked it because I felt like it felt enough like the scream movies scream four just i don't know there was something off like it just didn't for me it just didn't yeah. quite hit that but i want to revisit it because i might feel different with you know what almost 10 years uh having transpired scream three was a lot different as well but i just liked what they did with it a lot more than the story in the second film sure. but i don't know i basically i'm i would be totally on board with a hard reboot but let's get to the news what's okay. the big news? well the big news as far as i'm concerned because this also sets up the possibility of who else might be returning but it is official that the one, the only Mr. David Arquette will return as, and I quote from Variety, not Deputy Dewey. Oh, no, kids. Sheriff Dewey Riley. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that he would be the sheriff implies, because if you think about what he was in two and three, right, right. I mean, for him to be the sheriff would imply that maybe none of that happened, which also my theory is I say Stu is still alive. That is my conspiracy theory that I could be completely and probably am utterly wrong about. But I say you saw a TV fall on him. He could still be alive. I Scarred think there's up. a strong possibility. Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe he's living under the mall, the Woodsboro Mall, like, you know, like uh, Eric Phantom of the Mall, like something like that. And he's all <laughs> jacked up and he's just and he's over there doing that thing where he like takes both fingers and yeah, he said and he's spitting and oh, God, I would love it so very much. The original script for scream three included the return of stew and that he had been alive and kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes of scream two. So if that turned out to be the case, I would be excited. I saw, I don't know if you saw that um, article as well, but Matthew Lillard said, yeah, I'm available. And yes, I'd be interested to come back as Stu. So he said, I guarantee you Nev is a voracious protector of West, like nobody else. She won't do it unless there's a really clear idea that she's excited about. Um, so we don't know if that's happening yet, but, but he said of himself, yes, yes, I'm available. Yes, yes. Well, and then of course that <laughs> would also mean we'd get Randy back presumably. Yep. And that would be awesome. I think, I think everybody lo- loved them. Some Randy, I know that everybody, well, if that's the hard reboot, but I'm, I, but Lillard is, is kind of saying you could bring him back even if it was a sequel yeah that's i think that is yes he obviously randy would be a lot harder to justify like why would he have looked so very dead (laughs) and (laughs) for two movies for two movies yeah yeah yeah. that's so that was a that one's a bit of bridge too far but so if they do the hard reboot yes you could bring back randy but you to your point you could bring back Stu regardless um the one that always and i know this is like a petty thing but and then we can move on to the next thing 
but the one that always made me the the saddest, and this is the only thing I really didn't like about Scream Three, you know, spoiler alert for Scream Three, is that Cotton died at the beginning. I always felt like in the end, I wanted it to just be that thing where they had so done such a good job of taking us off the trail of Cotton, and then it ended up being he was the puppet master like the whole freaking yeah. time. Like there, and the fact that he didn't, he, they didn't even at least string that along a little bit further. I, I always felt that to be a little bit jarring and disappointing. Likewise, I do not want the opening. If they do like another opening kill type thing, which I think would be actually clever, more clever maybe if they don't do that, but. If they go that route, please do not kill Sydney in the first 10 minutes of this movie. Please don't pull a Halloween resurrection on me. Right. I doubt she'd come back for that. I hope. Now, see, to me, that would not be good for the legacy. Just, I it just, no, don't do it. Alex Party, who's an exceptional artist. I don't know if you guys are familiar with his work. He's the guy who did the creature designs for Digging of the Marrow. Okay. And he just does a lot of cool horror, crazy sci-fi yeah. fantasy art. Anyway, he tweeted this out. I thought it was a good idea. He said, I'm sure this has been discussed, but if not regarding Scream, it would be amazing to actually make a legit great version of the movie Stab as a reimagining of the series, seeing as how Stab was the conceptual movie within a movie that was inspired by Scream Part 1. That would be a really cool way to do um, this new Scream film is as Stab. And they also, a lot of people were pitching it as kind of a Wes Craven's new nightmare where the cast of scream are being taunted by someone Mm -hmm. that could be cool too. Yeah, that would be cool too. I I like the stab idea and I've heard rumors that it will, that they're not going to call it scream five. Have you heard that as well? That that's one of the rumors is that they weren't going to call it that it's going to be called something else. So that, that who knows, maybe that's where they're going. They're going to call it stab. That would, that is, that is so ridiculously meta though. (laughs) I guess, I guess that's the point. (laughs) All right. Is there any other news either of you wanted to touch upon? Did you guys follow along when they did the Halloween at home live viewing? That was a lot of fun. David Gordon Green took over the Blumhouse Twitter account and uh, he was joined by Jamie Lee Curtis and they live tweeted the entire Halloween 2018 and uh, both versions of the shape were there, both Nick Castle and James Jude Courtney. They were live tweeting. And then there were also special appearances. Basically, <laughs> they convinced John Carpenter to log on for a few minutes and answer some questions as well as uh, Jason Blum. So it was a lot of fun. Just a lot of listeners and people chiming in. And we had a great time uh, watching the film live with with everybody. But there was some news that came out of that. For one thing, they announced there'll be an official novelization for Halloween Kills, which oh, is excellent. fun. I want to read that. Yeah. They also announced that Jamie Lee Curtis is going to direct a film for Blumhouse, Ooh, which is super I did exciting. Hear that. Yeah. Going to be called Mother Nature. And uh, I don't know how COVID plays into all of that in terms of when they're actually going to film it, but they they have announced that she's going to be directing and co-writing the script with Russell Goldman from Comet Pictures, who was, uh, that's her production company that's teaming with Blumhouse. So, All right. One other kind of cool thing that happened, I don't know if this is considered news, but this weekend the Chattanooga Film Festival did their virtual film festival, and one of our friends of the show, Trey Whetstone, he attended and uh, reviewed on his Twitter feed all of the horror-adjacent content he's uh, said he's willing to come on the show maybe on our next frankensteinian episode we can have trey on for a few minutes to talk about his experience doing this uh, virtual 
film festival. Oh, yeah, some of the awesome. films he saw at the yeah. Chattanooga Film Festival. Yeah, that's very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I would love that. That would be cool. Yeah. Something different for our times. All right. Without any further ado, we will move into our discussion of the Shudder original series, Cursed Films. Welcome to our Shudder-sponsored Screaming Online episode. So AMC Network Shudder is a premium streaming video service. Shudder's expanding library of film, television series, and originals is available on most streaming devices in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Ireland, and Germany for $5.99 a month or $56.99 per year. You can get Shudder on your Apple devices, Android devices, Xbox, Amazon Fire, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. We're going to move on and talk about the Curse Films collection, but just to let people know, there are a bunch of cool series if you're looking for something to binge right now on Shutter. There's The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, Wolf Creek, Creep Show, Greg Nicotero produced, as well as The Deadlands, the one I'm always talking up. Other cool series, Dead Wax, if people haven't seen that, it's worth checking out. There's a documentary series called The Core, which is really fun. I think horror fans will appreciate it. It gets to the hard of, of of scares and and special effects and all kinds of fun stuff yeah that's a good one i've watched that one too it's really good and eli ross the history of horror is kind of a fun one yes yep that's a good one it's surface level for horror fans for the hardcore horror fans yeah but it's still fun to see these people talking about horror it's a great collection of interviews that eli roth has and one that joel's mentioned in the past nosferatu yes Joe hill love so, that show great show and just a lot of fun stuff to check out if you're looking for something for a binge which i am that's kind of what i'm craving at this time yeah and they do they i just got the email in that said uh the new original series blood machines and i'm 99 sure this is the one that uh allison mentioned to me and peter when we were recording one of our last episodes of tear on the tube uh because it's got music by carpenter brute and she had mentioned that and just as a little uh Side note, a little technical note that it said this in the email. So I'm going to make anybody aware of this who's maybe uses, you know, Fire Stick or Roku or the app or however you get Shutter. Uh, that it's according to their email that they've recently made some improvements to Shutter and they want to make sure everybody knows to update their Shutter app on all your devices. So users with older versions of the app may experience some login or playback issues. So be sure to update it. Want to make sure anybody out there who's listening that has Shutter or that's planning on getting it here soon, hopefully with promo code HMP to update your app. And that's just scratching the surface. Lots of great stuff on Shutter. And I guess we can move on and talk about cursed films at this point. All right. We hear a lot about cursed films around horror productions. Crazy things that happen on the set of The Exorcist or The Omen or Poltergeist. When you're working intensively on a project and something really anomalous occurs, it's tempting to say this project feels cursed. There was all of this information about the movie being cursed. And then you enter the internet into that and forget about it. There are rumors that they used real skeletons from India and it led to a curse. If you need skeletons to come out of a muddy pool, what do you do? Well, get some real ones, I guess. Our brains are designed to believe 
all sorts of things, whether they're poltergeists. There was a moment during production when their sets caught fire. Aliens and conspiracies. Gregory Peck was supposed to be on a flight that he canceled. The plane crashed and killed everyone on board. Angels and demons. The Antichrist would do everything not to have this picture made. For me, that was in one ear and out the other. It was the last night of shooting. It was the final scene with the rescue of the two children. Things are getting too close to the helicopter. And I turned around and I said, run. They do the shot and then he drops down and he didn't get up. I think it's easier for people to try to come up with some kind of conspiracy theory that helps justify why this person is suddenly gone. There has to be a reason for something terrible happening. That's the crux of all this cursed thinking. I think we bring on our own curses upon us. Otherwise, you have to believe that there are really demonic forces out there. Cursed Films is a 2020 Shutter original series produced, written, and directed by Jay Cheel. And it is a five-part documentary series. So there are five episodes on Shudder, and they are on the films The Exorcist, The Omen, Poltergeist, The Crow, and Twilight Zone, The Movie. Um, according to IMDb, Cursed Films is a five-part doc series which explores the myths and legends behind of some of Hollywood's notoriously cursed horror film productions, which I just thought, as soon as I saw that, I thought, you bastard, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a great idea for yeah, a horror documentary. It really I'll, is. Maybe I'll talk to with him about this, but I'm always lo- on the lookout for how can I do a real horror documentary? Because there's plenty of films, documentaries about horror films, but to pull off doing a horror film as a documentary is so difficult to just find the right subject and be able to do it other than it turning out as found footage and being dead at the end. I don't really know how you can do it. You know, I'm always looking for the perfect project. This had the potential of being that he didn't really go that direction. And I think that's definitely something I might have done differently and would have enjoyed is just really feeling like you're taking on the scariness of the situation. And this is, has a bit of remove. It's a bit academic. It's also very artful. Um, but I, he did a really good job, I think. I mean, I think if you enjoy things like horror noir, this is a great look into some really excellent films, and they build on each other. So I think if you just watch The Exorcist, you think, well, they touched on the cursed aspects, but they kind of got into you know how it was just promotional material and stuff. The Omen then shifts, and that mm-hmm. film, that one talks about um, you know witchcraft and all of these other elements, and and they actually build on each other as they go. I haven't seen all of them, but I'm assuming by the end kind of cover the entire spectrum of this concept of a cursed film. And I really like how episode two built on episode one while still delving into the exorcist and the omen. You're kind of getting it from different angles and they bring in interesting people from the real worlds that kind of reflect back on the concept of the original film. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we can talk about each of those, I guess, as we move on, but High level, as Joel would say, um, I, I think it's it's a fun documentary series and you get a fun look at these movies that have these legends that are kind of bigger than the movies in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. For sure. And they're all great films, actually, as well, yep. which is fun. Yep. Absolutely. I will say that there's one of these 
having watched them all, there is one of these that I legit found creepy. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll tease that out. One of them I thought had enough to it where it can't, because you're right. I mean, there is a, a level of remove with a lot of these that they are more academic and um, which I liked. I, I, that's one of the things I really want to say glowing things about when it comes to this series is the fact yeah. that you had the setup with the movies and, and some of maybe the more better known myths and, and supposed curses. But then he does this thing where he shifts into some real world parallels, I guess is the best way to put it, because I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, yep. But I'm reminded Absolutely. with like the Exorcist one in particular. And I also really appreciated that he kind of he did it in a in a pretty objective sort of way. I mean, you you know, you had it laid out where, okay, here's the curse and here's what people believe. And, you know, he gets to that point of view of people who, you know, you could probably assume, at least in some of these cases full on believe that there's something going on. But then, you know, you have the guy from like, what is it? Skeptic magazine. And you have people who are presenting the other side of like, well, wait a minute, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So I just, I liked that it in, in a relatively short time frame. I mean, it really, you know, these are what about 30 minutes each, give or take somewhere in there. Yeah. So, I mean, these, you know, these are, these could have easily been longer, but I think it really does leave you wanting more, which is great. And it feels like a whole piece kind of uh, through the course of because they're short, but because they build on each other, I, I, I get the sense that it feels like one long. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You could just sit there and watch the whole thing. Two and a half hour yeah, movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would definitely work in that regard. All right. So then the first up segment of the series is The Exorcist, of course. And for anyone that... uh isn't familiar with the backstory of the exorcist it's a little bit different than the other ones uh, where they had some some of these productions had some very traumatic uh, tragic type events happen that have been connected to this idea of a curse but whereas with the exorcist um it was more that the release was surrounded by weird things happening controversies you know people feigning in the theaters and throwing up and pregnant women having issues. I think there was maybe even something about somebody has supposed to having a heart attack. I mean, there was all sorts of uh, wacky stories that were going around, but they were all supposedly connected to the idea of this being an evil film. And there were deaths associated with the film as well. There was a uh, Max Van Sydow's brother died on day one of production. That's right. One of the crew members died. Two of the actors died. So there was that kind of thing going on uh, during the production of the film as well. But yeah, this episode seems like it's mostly about the PR aspect of the film being cursed. Mm -hmm. I think what impressed me the most was that horror fans of a certain generation will have heard a lot of these stories before. You know, the poltergeist curse of the Twilight Zone uh, situation that, that happened. I mean, by the time I saw Twilight Zone on cable, I knew what had happened on the set of that film. Right. And poltergeist a couple weeks. I remember a couple weeks after seeing it in the theater, hearing about Dominique Dunn being murdered well, i was going in thinking okay well what are they going to have that's new that i haven't heard before are they going to offer anything new and then i saw oh geez these are only a half hour i don't know maybe they won't but yet they all did they all had something that i didn't know or that i hadn't heard before yeah. and i think that's what impressed me the most about them was that yeah i'm, I'm still learning things about these quote unquote cursed films that i've been living with now for 30 35 years and i thought that was great yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's both something I liked and disliked about the series. Like with The Exorcist, 
I personally would really love to just spend the time delving into and tonally kind of getting into the mood of these things I already knew about. You know, that's just my taste. I, I would have I would have enjoyed spending time with those cursed aspects. It does something kind of different. It kind of glosses over the stuff we all know and saying, yeah, we everybody knows this stuff. Here's a bunch of interesting stuff you didn't know. And that's kind of cool the way they approach that. And I love yeah. that they talk about experts in the real world who can speak to elements of the film. It's hard to talk about it without spoilers. I don't think it's necessarily a spoiler, though, to say that they talk to occultists. They talk to real exorcists. They talk to real witches. They talk to black magic artists. And like these things are all reflecting back on how might a film become cursed? Uh, could a film be cursed? And I know from listening to the film junk podcast that, that the director is a skeptic. He's, he doesn't necessarily believe in God, but the exorcist was a film that still freaks the crap out of him. And I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and I love that. Then they talk about this in the film too, but how it's also kind of revered by religious people. And we know pastor Matt, who, is a longtime listener of our show and now has his own excellent podcast. He screens this for his parishioners parishioners, and they discuss it. And it's like a great tool that he uses to talk about God. And there was one person they interviewed in this exorcist episode. I remember when Jay was on the show, occasionally would get complaints that, Oh, Jay talks about religion too much. You know, that that bugs me. And just as I get complaints about, I talk about politics too much, you know, (laughs) I think the thing is, is that these things are kind of part of the DNA of horror. And one of the interviewees in the film says they just go hand in hand. They're Mm -hmm. dealing with the same subject matter. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that too, just thinking about it. Cause I think these are really interesting ideas that so many horror films deal with. I loved seeing it approached from this way from a guy, a director who was a skeptic, but taking seriously or at least engaging with these people of religion, these people, these occult folks, you know, that was really an interesting way to approach Mm -hmm. it. I thought one thing I thought was interesting and a point they made, and it's not so much pertinent to the main uh, thrust of what they were trying to accomplish with the episode when they were talking about Linda Blair, how Linda Blair got so much backlash from, um, from religious people and just, and just in general about being in the exorcist yet the little boy who was in the omen Mm -hmm. playing Damien spoiler alert for the 1976 uh, version of the omen, the actual spawn of Satan (laughs) didn't get that. Yeah. You know, meanwhile she was the victim in the exorcist. Yeah. True. Yeah. And she was getting all of this backlash. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. And I love that they had her on too, um, sort of talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like they got a really great group of people for the documentary. It seemed like they had all the access they needed. I'm sure there were other people they wanted to get that they didn't get, but you never felt that watching the film. It didn't feel light on mm-hmm. like appearances. They had just a really strong group of interviewees. I, I was right. going to say that too, Dave. I really appreciated the Linda Blair segment and even the stuff she wouldn't talk about was very revealing of yes, the yeah. impact the film had on her life. You know? Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. For sure. It, it was uncomfortable, but in that way of you're like, it really drove home how true because we forget, right? We just, we, or we don't even not forget. We don't even know we're watching a movie. She's a character. That's not real life. And then it's like, Oh, as it turns out, that is a real person with real feelings. And when horrible stuff happens to them, it's traumatic. It's traumatic, right. especially when you're a kid. My gosh, man. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, we get to The Omen, which uh, The Omen is one that, if I'm being honest, I didn't even know was considered a cursed production. I know the movie's considered, you know, to be dealing with what is for many people evil subject matter, but I didn't know that the movie had a cursed aspect to it. However, I was very surprised to learn some of the stories that were connected uh, at least on the periphery to a lot of the cast and crew uh, during the making of the movie. And uh, they get into uh, in this segment uh, quite a bit about that and how, you know, this movie may be cursed by the devil himself. Two planes carrying two crew members, both being hit by lightning on the way to set is pretty spooky. Also, Gregory Peck was supposed to be on a flight that he canceled. And then the plane apparently crashed and killed everyone on board. The plane took off, hit a flock of birds, crashed at the end of the runway into a, a road and hit a station wagon. And in the station wagon was the wife and the two children of the pilot of that plane. They had dropped him off. I almost feel like my big takeaway from this is how thin the line between a perceived curse and actual tragedy is because most right. of what is delved into here is just straight up tragic. You yes. Know, that's that's yeah. to me, you could have easily called tragic films because the things that happened, even uh going into the new the next movie, The Omen, uh that were revealed with that one. And I and I want to be upfront with everybody. I didn't watch these in order because I wasn't sure I was gonna get them all in. So I started with the Exorcist, I jumped to Poltergeist, and even though I wanted to watch the crow, I kind of I, not to be cocky about it, I was like, ah, I know everything about the crow. I don't need to watch that one. I'll, I'll watch that one later if I get time. You know, I was doing that kind of thing. Like I uh, I've heard I've heard everything there is to hear about the crow. Um but then I so I jumped ahead to Twilight Zone, the movie, which is weird because I think I pretty much ever heard everything about that one as well. But for some reason, maybe it's the macabre uh, factor of that. I, I just wanted to uh, see how they approach that material. And then I jumped mm -hmm. back to the crow and I did the omen last. And I did the omen last, not because I don't like the omen. I love the omen. But I kind of felt like I've never heard of there being any real thing. Curse things, although when they did talk about the airplane thing, I I vaguely, as soon as they said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember hearing about that. But right, I yeah, don't right. ever think of the omen. I think of it being a creepy movie and being, you know, the subject matter it's dealing with is disturbing and blah, blah, blah. But I never recalled hearing too much about it being a cursed production. However, this would be the episode, as it turns out, that by the end of it. I kind of had the heebie-jeebies like <laughs> this one. I mean, there were especially and I will give it away because they actually got Richard Donner, which I thought was awesome that they had Richard Donner in this mm -hmm. in this episode. Uh, but, yeah. you know, there's a certain reveal of a real life accident that parallel that paralleled a uh, thing that happens to uh, a, a certain character played by uh, one Mr. Uh, David Warner and the circumstances in which it happens and what happens and where it happens and under a certain sign that it happens. I mean, the whole thing, I'm like, that's got to be, uh, please be, please be made up. Please do not be a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think the Omen episode went a long way of kind of wrapping up the idea of, it did a lot of things actually, but. I like how it talked about confirmation bias mm -hmm. and about how we see things that we want to see in these things. And I thought that actually would have been a great final episode. So I was actually curious that you watched it last, if it had a nice wrapping up effect because it simultaneously creeped you out, but also kind of leaves you saying like, yeah, but we're looking for these things in it. And I thought that was a nice way to kind of 
tie that idea up. Yes, actually, it's so, a great way of putting it because because I, I did save it for last. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It does have that sense to it, but it's interesting. And while it does get into the confirmation bias and he didn't give short shrift or any kind of disrespect to the other points of view where there were some people who talked about that from their point of view, everything's connected. It's all connected. It's all, you know, and and I thought it was it was a good balance that way. I just I liked that we got presented with all of it and sort of like make up your own mind. And and I love and I loved, of course, the final shot was perfect as it should have been. But um uh, especially for that movie. But uh, yeah, it was creepy. I, I'm not going to lie. I thought the one for the omen that was legit. That All the other ones I felt just a sadness with for the most part, especially right. the next three. Uh, but the omen one, right. man, that was because especially the excess with they got it. You kind of had that reveal from uh, where uh, and I don't know if this is something that'd be a spoiler. I think you mentioned it earlier, but the idea of how much of the stuff that I, I always kind of grew up believing was true might have been just total PR BS, you know, when it came to the exorcist. So it kind of takes a little bit of the gas out of that movie for me, knowing like, oh, you mean when they said that this happened, that happened is probably eh, okay. But there's something about the omen, <laughs> like the stuff that happened. Although I do agree with the sort of uh, ending. I don't know how I'm trying to say this without spoiling anything, but basically how they sort of say, depending on how you want to look at what happened is whether it was a blessing or a curse. Like that idea, right. I was like, actually, that's a good point. Now, who they're claiming might be blessing the movie is a whole other <laughs> discussion. Uh, right. uh, or uh, cursing it. They got into that, too, which I thought was really or interesting. Or cursing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, did you get a chance to see the Omen one, either of you? Was that the one you guys saw? I did see it. Yeah, I okay. really enjoyed it, actually, even though um, I felt like it dealt with the film less than the Exorcist episode. Sure. I really enjoyed all of the additional stuff they put in there where they talked to a witch and a black magician. And when I say black magician, I mean, uh, someone who deals in black magic. Yeah. And I thought that was really black cool. arts. Yeah. 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 The dark arts. Yeah. And, and I thought too, though, to your point about it, not getting into the movie, it's because it sounds like the movie as a production went was totally fine. Like it had virtually no, you know, major snafus per se. Most of the stuff was, sort of off camera, maybe offset on the periphery, but it was just enough to be like, okay, that's creepy. (laughs) And then that leads us into uh, Poltergeist. I feel like Poltergeist is probably one of the, maybe the best known of all of these, as far as the curse that's connected to it. It's the one I know that I was the most familiar with this idea that there was something with this movie that caused all this tragedy to befall it and to befall some of the people involved with it. So, you know, you've got several different actors that died after being in these movies and it may or may not be connected to real human skeletons that were used during the making of the movie. Most people, when you hear of Poltergeist, probably think, oh yeah, that's that film that was kind of cursed. And then you enter the internet into that and forget about it. It's off and skyrocketing and it has a life of its own now. It will never go away. There's a series of mishaps that happen that believers will say uh, mean that there's a Poltergeist curse. For example, on the set of the film, the little boy, when he's being strangled by the toy clown, the mechanism malfunctioned and he claims he was actually being choked out. Of course, I will say for me, 
This one, I mean, really, honestly, all three, the remaining three are all very sad. But right. they interviewed Gary Sherman, the guy who directed Poltergeist 3, and that was like heartbreaking. I was, it was, you know, it, I, I agree with you. And, and, and Gary Sherman's one of those directors where, you know, I love most of his work. As a matter of fact, Pulp the guys three is one of the few that stands out that I'm like, Oh, I, I could do without that one. Uh-huh. But you know, and then you, you sort of find out, you know, you find out some things about the, 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 the behind the scenes making of not just the making of that movie, but what happened at the end because of the tragedy mm-hmm. um, that, that even he, uh, you know, doesn't seem extremely happy with the film as to as to what he was sort of forced to do. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, this this one is is uh, it's it's very sad because of when you, when you're dealing with the curse in this case, it's the tragic death of the two uh, actresses. Yeah, from the both, first one from playing both, sisters yeah, in, the, yeah. in the first movie, Dominique Dunn and Heather O'Rourke. I think aside from that, one of the most interesting aspects of this, and I don't want to give too much of it away was when they were talking to someone who was getting into the whole idea of, and everyone's heard about the curse uh, being somehow maybe related to the fact that they used actual cadavers. Or skeletons. When, uh, yeah, Joe skeletons. Yeah. falls in the pool and, and later on, and, and how one guy sort of looks at the, the history of film. Yes, I love that part. And brings up an excellent, excellent point. Yeah. That do you think a B-movie would hire someone to sculpt a, <laughs> That's an a great artificial? Point. Yeah, yeah skeleton yes i was just got me to thinking it's like you know the whole idea of karma you know coming back to them using actual cadavers well if you're looking at karma why isn't cannibal holocaust a cursed film Mm -hmm. why looking at poltergeist i guess in the 80s this was around the time when we might have been thinking oh maybe it's not great to use actual cadavers for years and years and years (laughs) before yeah sure they're not putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into making artificial skeletons that are going to hang in the background. Well, they were, if I understood it right, they were medical skeletons. They were this, the same type that would have been used. I think he brings up like the original Frankenstein, uh, right. House on Haunted Hill. Those, and, and they were the kind of skeleton you'd see hanging in any anatomy class. Um, right. And and you're, yeah, I love that you brought that up because that point he makes. I think it was one of the special effects artists, right? Wasn't it? Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. And. When he talks about the fact that on a B picture, they're not going to, st- and even on an A picture, like what Poltergeist would have been at the time, they're not, the amount of yeah. time and effort and money when you can get, it's not like it was, it's certainly not illegal. You can, you know, get into the the morality of it. But the fact is, mm-hmm. is that they were, you know, intended initially to be used as models. <laughs> These people, I mean, I, right. I, I think you could get the whole argument right and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the thoughts and concerns is, a lot of those skeletons are not, let's say, gotten voluntarily necessarily. Like these right. are people who, oh, I'm donating <laughs> my body to science. Go ahead. Like that's where the way it's often put out there. I, I think that um, uh, Zelda Rubenstein sort of summed it up best when she finally addressed the idea of a curse where after Poltergeist 3 came out and she was talking about both Dominique Dunn and Heather O'Rourke and, and what she had to say. It, it's just it's almost like a slap in the face to these two to say, Hey, this is just part of a curse. When you look at the real tragedy of what happened to the both of them, one was a misdiagnosis. The other one was murdered by a boyfriend. Nothing really to do with the movie. I really, I I, I just keep coming back to the sincere heartbreak that Gary Sherman, the director of Poltergeist three shares where he talks about being a pallbearer at Heather O'Rourke's 
funeral and just like you said earlier, Dave, that he just didn't even want to finish the movie. He was done. But they basically said, yeah, you're going to finish it because we got a lot of money in this. And just that I, I can't even imagine. And this is obviously something that would be applicable to The Crow as well, where you have to continue working on something. You have no desire to, I would say against your will, but you, you just don't want to, but right. you're contractually obligated. There's financial stuff in, at play here and that you'll probably get sued and ruin your career if you bail. So I get why you do it, but getting right. yourself up out of bed in the morning to go and do this with a double, I can't even imagine. Just sitting in the editing room. Oh, and then having to look at her face. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Looking at shots of Heather O'Rourke, yeah. you know, the, and, and trying to pick which one you, you know. I it, can't it, even imagine. It really weighed on. I mean, to this day, it's still, you, you could see it. Yeah, you could see it's it. It's still very upsetting to him. And the whole fact that she had come and said she wanted to be a director and can I watch you and yeah. sitting with him Jeez. and yeah. Yeah, well, I, th- I really felt his willingness to share that was just, I don't know. Yeah, there, there was, I mean, obviously anybody sharing any kind of tragic situation, there's a lot of other people in some of these other segments that, you know, you could tell yes. what happened mm-hmm. was just profoundly traumatic and uh, life-changing for them. But there's something about him and just the way he conveyed that whole experience that mm, it was it was troubling. <laughs> it was very upsetting. Speaking of upsetting, <laughs> that we get into uh, the crow and the utter and complete loss of what, in my opinion, was the beginnings of an amazing career. Because I think the curse is more connected to the lineage of the family than it is to just that movie. But of course, that movie starred Brandon Lee. And since supposedly this curse was running through his bloodline, some believe that it is somehow connected to the movie itself. But uh, of course, the big tragic curse event that happened with this movie. Now, there was a few other things, you know, around the set uh, that did happen that were some of them very severe. But the most tragic one is the death of Brandon Lee. You know, I love that movie. I'm sure everybody here loves that movie. Actually, I'm not a huge fan of it, Real, to be honest. I, Josh, I can never pin you down, man. I would have totally nailed you as being like in high school, like loving the crow. I don't know why. I just I, I figured this would be like your jam. I should revisit it, to be honest. I haven't seen it since maybe the year it came out. Really? Um, okay. I, I, I think I saw it in theaters and then maybe once more on VHS, but yeah, I don't know. I will say this, that the crow, I love it. I, I've always loved it. It's I mean, obviously it's a very dark movie. I think this and Dark City, in my opinion, Alex Proyas is, you know, it's sort of like Fred Decker. He's got Night of the Creeps. He's got Monster Squad. If he does nothing else in his entire career, dude, you're good. You're good. And I feel like with Proyas, it's a very similar situation. I mean, I know he's done other movies as well, but as far as I'm concerned, those two movies are amazing. And I would love to revisit The Crow with you. So if we can't get to it anytime soon on this show, we need to do like a retro movie geek or something just because I want you to rewatch it under the context of the world you live in now and who you are now. And I feel like I, I would be willing to wager you'll have a different response to it. It was rumored for a little while that the director of The Hollow and The Nun was going to remake this film with Jason Momoa in mm-hmm. the Brandon Lee part. Hmm. And so I was actually very interested. I was going to revisit it for that purpose, but then that movie got canceled. So yeah, um, 
yeah, I'll I'll rewatch it. I don't know. Does it is it full on horror? Is it something uh, that our listeners would appreciate? I, I feel like it is dark. It is a horror movie. I, I would consider it to be a horror movie. It's 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 a it's a very you know it's a dark tragic love story. I guess at its core, but at the end of the day, it's about a dude who's horribly murdered, and he comes back from the dead to get revenge on those who murdered him and his beloved yeah. so i'd say okay. it's pretty horrifying and, and it's pretty violent all right yeah i'm in let's okay. do it yeah because because i feel like the crow is definitely one if you have and you know who knows maybe you'll be like nah it still sucks to me but <laughs> i just think it is a great movie and what's cool is and they get into this a bit in this particular uh segment i won't go into what it influenced but you know because it came out 94 right i believe it was 94 and mm-hmm. it was yep. very aesthetically influential in, in whether it was subconscious or not on some other properties that would come out a little bit later. Let's just put it that way. And when you watch it, you're like, oh yeah, you know what? Holy yeah. Wow. Yeah. It really is. Especially because some of those properties are always viewed as being the most influential um, on anything that came after them, which they were by, by the way. Uh, but yeah, it's always like the crow to me is how Black Christmas is to Halloween, right? So prior to Halloween, you have Black Christmas. This is in, potentially could be this, you look viewed as this very influential on Halloween kind of movie. But I don't think anybody's going to say Black Christmas is the reason why we got the slasher cycle that we got. Right. It's because of Halloween. Right. We got that. And you can even get in the right. argument of Friday the 13th. But point is, that's what I, I kind of think of the crow as, but we'll get there later when we, we actually review it. But as far as it goes in this segment, the loss of Brandon Lee but the guy was always living under the shadow of his dad. And uh, my wife and I are both big Bruce Lee fans. You know, she reads a lot of his philosophy books and stuff like that. And we've talked a lot about him. And, you know, Brandon Lee was living in, in a lot of ways in his dad's shadow. Because for the love of God, your dad is Bruce Lee. Right. <laughs> but I feel like with this movie, you see that he was, I mean, first of all, I think he's a much better actor than his father. I mean, his father is this you know, amazing athlete and and just uh, a martial artist, but Brandon like really could act. And I just think it's such an unbearable, I mean, it's a loss when anybody dies, obviously, but this like the idea that this at the precipice, at the, at the moment when he's about, to, if he, he had done this movie and hadn't had the tragedy, I think it still would have been a hit. I, I just think this would have been the beginning for him. I, I don't know where he would have ended up or what. Maybe he would have done another, you know, you done showdown a little Tokyo part two immediately following this and it would have all been downhill. I don't know. But you could see the potential there. And as they go in into this particular segment, the logistics of how it happened. And they actually, that was what you brought up earlier, Josh. They really, show, like I've never seen anybody show that before where they show exactly how what happened happened. And you're right. like, wow, that just sucks it is as simple as all somebody had to do was inspect the barrel of a gun it literally was that that's that's the difference and it's like god almighty it, you know it's like a, a tragedy that happens you know there's this like the the twilight zone thing you can get into the whole and we'll get into that a bit where the you know, the ego involved all this other stuff and and just it was about a lot of miscalculations but i think there's a lot of people involved in that scenario who are really actively trying to be careful in, in in the crow situation, it was just such a simple thing that took the yeah. life of this guy. And and then the poor actor that shot him. My God, man. Yeah. And it just shows you how fragile life yeah. is too. It's crazy how yeah. just quickly yeah. it can be extinguished, you know. Yep. 
I think everybody, I should say everybody, I think a lot of people are familiar with the whole idea that supposedly Bruce Lee was cursed and that's why he died, the the, the Lee family curse. And I think that movie Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, delved into that a bit. Um, but I don't know, this, this story in particular to me has the least... Um, cursed aspect to it even though i guess you know they they get into like oh was it a was it something related to the family's lineage or something but it just has this ultimate this one and the next one for sure just it's it's all just pure tragedy uh the next one is straight up hubris and ego that mixed with said tragedy but the crow is just such a freaking shame i mean and and, and there is an aspect to it uh that michael berryman talks uh quite a bit uh, in this particular segment which was fantastic i love that guy and he apparently was a character it was it was a full-on animatronic the skeleton cowboy i believe is what he was called and he was going to be a it's a in the i've never read the comic i don't know if you guys have but um he's a key figure in that book and they ended up having to work around him because i guess some of the scenes that he was supposed to shoot with brandon were going to be towards the tail end and brandon was already gone and so they couldn't get him in and and so they ended up having to remove that but even so even though berryman ended up not even getting to really be in the movie he had done all the you know the prep work for it and was was good to go but he he said some really interesting insightful things related to this idea of some sort of curse and all that kind of stuff uh especially as it related to uh the situation with brandon lee so uh i really enjoyed this segment again much like the poltergeist one it was just sad <laughs> tragic but uh but yeah, you, you got a lot of insights into how things happened. So yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. So that moves us into the final segment in this uh, series, which is based on Twilight Zone, the movie. And just again, for anyone who's not familiar, the, the primary thing that would make this a cursed movie is that uh, there is a stunt involving the actor Vic Morrow and two very young children uh, that ended in an absolute tragedy when uh, pyrotechnics went off and a low-flying helicopter during a scene where they're supposed to be in the jungles of Vietnam outside of a village and the the guy flying the chopper lost control of it, I believe is how it went, and it hit down and just killed all three of them instantly. And, and, And he lost control. He lost control because of the pyrotechnics. Yes, because of the pyrotechnics going off really quick because they had him flying very low. Um, and, right. uh, you know, ultimately, I will warn anybody. My first experience with this movie and this tragedy, I had heard about it my whole life growing. I think it's, this is what, like, Dave, what you mentioned earlier. Like, we all grew up. If you're of a certain generation, there's certain ones you always heard about. Like you, you went into Twilight Zone knowing yeah. about that. And I had heard that somebody had died. I did know that. And I thought that I'd heard it was the guy in the one about the racist uh, character. So, but mm-hmm. I didn't know the details. And then one day I was, it was, I would watch on HBO back in like, this has been like the very early nineties, maybe late eighties, but I feel like it was like 1990 ish, 91. Maybe they had this series and then maybe, I don't know if, who knows with HBO, maybe it's still ongoing, but it's kind of, they had taxi cab confessions. Remember that one? Remember that, that, that mm-hmm. series that HBO put on. And then they had another right. one that was like about things caught on camera and I don't remember what the actual name, maybe somebody out there knows what it was called, but it was, it was essentially 
things that were caught on camera and they delved in. That was sort of my first like in-depth introduction into exactly what happened. So I remember sitting there at, in my chair that I would always watch all this is a, the same TV. I, I first saw Evil Dead 2 on and all my movies that I saw in that time period. When I'm like 13 years old, 14 years old. And I'm watching this thing at like one o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, they're showing. You see the helicopter going around. I'm like, okay, and you can see it's about the. And I'm like, there's no way they're gonna. Sh-, and they and they're gonna freeze frame. And they're gonna. Uh, oh my god, they didn't freeze frame. They just showed right. those people die. And I just remember as I, and I was younger, I was like 14 ish. I just was horror. I remember feeling sick, like just absolutely yeah. sick. And I will warn everybody right now, they don't freeze frame in this either. Now it's a longer right. shot, but you do see it happen. And it's it's very quick, but it's just knowing that in that moment you're watching three people die is it. I'm sorry. It's very upsetting. So if you're sensitive to that, please yeah. be aware of that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an anthology. Sure. Four different segments. This concentrates solely on that first segment. Um, the one with, with Vic Maron, like you're saying, the racist who uh, gets his comeuppance. I can't remember who it was. I think it was the, the set designer who was talking about yeah, the production uh, designer. The he yes. Just, he couldn't compose himself. To this day, this haunts him. And yeah. I guess it haunts everybody. Yeah. But to this day, it's like he he just, he still can't get over it, mm-hmm. over his part in what happened that day. And, and they talk about how Vic Morrow was a little apprehensive about doing it, but John Landis was just a very sort of boisterous character and he didn't want to you know, say no to him. And, and the parents of the children are like, is this safe? Is this okay? And the fact that they were there on set watching uh, it's it really is it's brutal as all get out it really is brutal and and honestly and i don't want to go into too much detail but let's just say pretty much everything you imagine that would happen when the rotor blade or whatever it's called on the top of a helicopter were to directly come down on top of three human bodies that's what happened and it's like the idea like you said dave that being a parent and you're sitting right there and you just i i i can't even man i i don't even and i didn't realize until years later that vic morrow was jennifer jason lee's dad you mm, know i didn't know that yeah that was and apparently so i guess she got a settlement you know she was like 19 jennifer jason lee was uh, i think in the middle of making fast times at richmond high when she got the news that um you know her dad had died on the set of uh, twilight zone the movie wow wow for me, it was, I always go back to bad news bears. You know, he was the, he was the coach of the Yankees and I don't think anybody could play the bad guy quite like Vic Morrow could. Yeah. And you see that even in this segment of the twilight zone, you see that, you know, you know, he just, he can play a bastard with the best of them. And <laughs> yeah. he was great at it. Yeah. And it was a, a, such a loss for, for him. And, but then these two children also, and <sighs> you see the struggle. And when you're looking at that footage, you see the struggle in the water. Yeah. And I think, one of the more interesting things about this, they talk to Kane Hodder. They get into the like the ideas yes. of stunts. Yes, which was very interesting. And then what they hold up as a model of like how to do it safely is none other than someone we were already talking about, Lloyd Kaufman of Troma. Yes. Yeah. Yep. About how he refuses to do anything that's going to put anybody in danger. He has this sign up there. It's like, oh, I love that part. Safety for people, safety for property, and underneath, make a good movie. And make a good movie is really small. Yeah, really small font. I love that's right. the thing. Yeah. Yo, know, everybody, yo, know, make yo. Know, okay, Kaufman, the way he comes across and all this stuff, you can tell in in like quote unquote real life. Like he means mm-hmm. business. Like he is serious. Like I loved, you could tell, and there were some, a few moments where he's talking to people because they had a stunt that went a little bit sideways, right? There's a part where that happens yeah. and he's, he holds him, he, he's reserved, but he's, 
pissed. And he, yeah. you can tell yeah. he's he's not having that. Like his whole point. Well, first off, I think uh, they make the point that if Troma had anything remotely like a Trevally's that happened, they're done. Like they're just done, done. Yeah. And, right. Right. And, right. and and he knows that. But I think honestly, at his core, he doesn't want to be responsible. And you know, I, I think he even said, you know, I don't want to give away everything that you know that says in the documentary. But he goes into like if it had been him and what how he probably would have responded to that. And and right. and I think that yeah because. It's it's just a movie, man. You know, it's not worth dying over. Right. Full stop. I'm curious how much of the blame Cursed Films lays on John Landis' feet. Quite a bit. I mean, they they don't pull punches when it comes to um, John. I didn't think they did anyway. Uh, Joel, what did you think? Yeah, I, I think that they do make it fairly. I mean, they get a bit into the trial um, and the fact that he, he was found not guilty, I believe, um, at that trial. Mm-hmm. There is a book called Outrageous Conduct. I don't, and they do talk to the author Stephen Farber during the documentary, and it was a yeah. examination of the accident. And the subtitle of outrageous conduct is "Art, Ego, and the Twilight Zone Case." And I think the buck stops with the person who is the leader <laughs> of the production, as far as I'm concerned, right? And right. I, I think that the bigger picture of this whole thing is yeah. that this was a time and they get into this. I don't want to go too much into it because it's, it's delved much better than what I'm going to say uh, in the documentary, but that this is a time when the auteur, the, the director just having complete and utter control and, and being allowed to do whatever they want. It had been going really strong now at this point for at least a good solid, what? 10 plus year. I mean, why you have to go. I mean, right, the right. late, this is the late sixties. Certainly this had been the thing. And so I think that if you already have a concoction of hubris and ego and a couple of hits under your belt, you can begin to think that you can do whatever you want. And right. I, I think that that leads you <laughs> to making choices. Cause I don't believe, I, I mean, I just, I, I find it, I guess maybe I'm I'm naive or I'm a turtle optimist, but I try to give people the benefit of the doubt and assume that nobody would ever want something like that to happen on any level. Uh, so oh, no, yeah, no, there's yeah, there's no way that he wanted it to happen, but he was basically setting up these situations where something was bound to yeah, happen. Yeah, the, the, something was going to happen. If you make a bed for Murphy. Right. He'll move in. Right. Murphy's law being what it is. It's like you brought up the production designer, Dave. And that's very much like the Gary Sherman thing was just very heart wrenching to watch because you could see yeah. how affected he it just is. He talked about he was standing right there. Like yes. Vic was supposed to run past him with the kids, him and Landis. And he was it was his production. Like he had built the whole village. It was all his. Right. And just you can the weight that guy carries on his shoulders. And it and in a moment, not only did he have to witness this horrific tragedy and, and, and be a party to any of that, but then to also his career was basically done. Like he was right. done. Again, I don't want to give too much of it away, but they talk about that time where he walked onto the set and found, you know certain things he's like hey yeah. what the hell are these doing here you don't put these here without telling me and john yes. land is like oh it's okay it's okay yeah. and yes uh i thought it was interesting that that guy talked that guy gave an interview for this film and the fact that his career was over plus it's still affecting him so much that he sat there and he talked about it yes but yet john landis they reached out for, and he didn't yeah no uh, comment participate yeah. and i think that the difference maybe being that being that he did the whole 
trial and all that i, I don't know well, what the yeah. legality of all that is like i don't know and who he's probably just he straight up just doesn't want to talk about it is my guess oh, i'm sure uh i'm sure he doesn't i'm sure none of them want to wouldn't want to talk about sure. it uh, you know they'd rather not i'm sure well i always heard and i don't remember if it was from that book because I, I i used to have outrageous conduct i don't think i have it anymore um and i remember reading a good chunk of it at the you know, years and years and years ago but i i don't know if it was that book or not, but it was somewhere that I read that originally Spielberg, because of course, you know, lest we forget, Spielberg is a producer on this thing. And right. he was going to make The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. He was going to remake that classic Twilight Zone episode. That mm-hmm. was his original segment. But right. he but after this happened, he hadn't started production on his yet. And he was so just depressed and just deflated from it. That's why he ended up doing Kick the Can. Because obviously it's more light, upbeat, right? You know, hopeful. <laughs> so um, I mean, he was going to shut it down. He was going to. He was going to say, "That's it. We're not making this movie." I yeah. Mean, when that when that happened, he was he was going to pull the plug on the whole whole thing. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it, it's this one to me is it, it's not a curse. Like the, if you want to, I mean, obviously I I don't necessarily believe that any of them are curses. But that aside, this one is not a curse at all. This one is just a straight up tragedy that was yeah. completely and utterly avoidable save for hubris and ego and people yeah. just believing that they were somehow you know above the laws of physics nature and everything else that's really what this I came mean, down to it even had me going back to think about the blues brothers with all of those car crashes and everything yeah. and, and oh yeah know, it's amazing something didn't happen yeah. on that movie yes really uh, oh my god without let's not say exactly what it was but you find out something that was used in a earlier scene that could have easily have led to people dying right you know what i'm talking yep. about i mean they, mm-hmm. you know, they, they when they say what they did i'm like are you freaking kidding me dude come on right i would be interested to see is post this movie when that concept i mean you still obviously have the auteurs you know and, and certain directors still getting to you know obviously spielberg you know it was still spielberg i mean there there was still that but that idea of it being so entrenched in the culture i think what happens it, it, it was individual cases um from what i understand i mean you watch something like easy riders raging bulls and this is getting a little bit off topic here but each filmmaker who was an auteur and was and was sort of benefiting from that director having control each eventually shot themselves in the foot with their with a film like sure. for scorsese it was new york new york yeah for for dennis hopper it was the last movie you know, along something like that, and and um, uh, they look talk about William Friedkin's Sorcery, which is not a bad movie, oh, but I it was just movie. a very yeah. expensive movie. Yeah, it just yeah. You know, it was very, it just kind of spiraled out of control. This obviously for John Landis is the one, and and it and it you you see that you see when Dennis Hopper, you watch uh, the, the American Dreamer, which is a documentary about him editing the last movie and how it was basically just a sex party that he had at, at, at this ranch for months and just draining money from the company and not giving them a final cut, and they all eventually shoot themselves in the foot, and this was John Landis's. This was this yeah. was his. Um, this is where he crossed that line. Yeah, and I don't know that it stopped at that point but definitely i think it maybe stopped at that generation i don't think filmmakers in the next generation right. i mean you still have your quentin tarantino's and wes anderson sure and sure 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 directors like to take credit for the entire process but i guess that mm-hmm. that's a two-sided coin you know like there's yeah. right there, there are right. other things that if, if you want credit for it all then you have to take uh credit for it all yeah responsibility right, exactly. responsibility for it all when it all goes sideways yeah yeah 
Well, I guess then, is is there any other final thoughts either of you have about uh, the Cursed Film series? Yeah, I mean, I did want to mention that it just looks really nice. Not only you guys were talking about some of those older film clips and they just it looks spectacular. There is a ton of great film clip B-roll. They don't chintz on it. You know, they really have a lot of great footage in here. And the stuff that they shot looks really nice. They've got some really cool locations for their interviews. It's a lot of talking heads, but that's kind of part and parcel with what we're dealing with here. And I just thought there was some beautiful photography in it. I thought, as I mentioned before, I think their selection of interviewees was really strong. And although maybe they did want to include more people, I felt like the people they did include were perfect. And I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting filmmaking again like for me maybe i would have wanted to really get into the mood of what each of these curses felt like more than they did but i do think that the approach they took was really fulfilling and entertaining for cinephiles like like us you know yeah i agree and 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 for me it's it's what i touched on before is that you will learn something new um, even if you think you've, you've heard everything there is to hear about the poltergeist curse or what happened during the making of the twilight, you know, twilight zone, the movie, or, you know, the, the exorcist or whatever, you will learn something new. And uh, again, they're not long, they're quick watches. They're just under a half hour, all of them. And you're thinking, well, how much new can they give you? But they managed to do it. They managed to, you say, Oh, I never I never heard that before. That's really interesting. Or, or that, you know, what? maybe, maybe, and it makes you sort of rethink how you were approaching things before. Yeah, and maybe also inspires you to watch the original films. Again, I know that Shudder has the original Exorcist on Shudder currently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Joel's wanting me to watch The Crow now. So yeah, it's out of control. <laughs> madness, sheer madness. <laughs> So I think we can all say stream it on Shutter. I mean, Absolutely. I haven't seen the whole thing, so I oh, can't yeah. rate it yeah. as a whole. But I mean, this is like a nine point five out of ten for what I've seen so far. Yes, I, I, yeah, I would give it a nine out of ten. I thought it was great. That would be right there with you for the three I saw. Yeah, I, I have not seen the Omen. I haven't seen the Crow. But for the other three, yeah, absolutely nine yeah. out of ten. Yeah, yeah. I, well, awesome. and the fact knowing that you haven't seen those yet, Dave, I, I think you'll be very. Right. I think you'll be still in line with that. Then same with you, Josh. Uh-huh. I think you guys will. Enjoy Probably going to watch it tonight after we wrap up here, to be honest. All right. yeah, excellent. <laughs> and we will be talking with Jay Chill, the director, right after this on the show. So stay tuned. And probably by the time that conversation happens, I will have seen all of the episodes. So there you go. All right. Well, then that wraps up our conversation slash in-depth discussion of uh, the cursed film series on shutter so be sure to check it out and be sure to try shutter free for 30 days just go to shutter.com and use the promo code hmp when signing up that's s-h-u-d-d-e-r.com and the promo code hmp it's worth doing for the simple fact that if you do a regular uh, trial, it's only seven days and you kind of have to look for where to enter the promo code. It's kind of like a little drop down after you enter your credit card information and everything. Um, it's worth doing because it extends that free trial period by quite a bit. So yes, uh, definitely try it. Check That's it out. Yeah, definitely check it out. All right. Now at this point in the show, we will go into our interview with Jay Cheel. All right, at this point in the show, we are joined by filmmaker Jay Cheel. Jay is best known for 
directing the documentaries Beauty Day and How to Build a Time Machine, as well as his work on the Film Junk podcast, For My Money, the best film-related podcast ever, and also a Genie Award-nominated filmmaker, it says here. So, yeah. That yeah. massive, massive Genie it's Award. Huge. It's the the Canadian. Uh, the Genie Awards don't even exist anymore. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> it's the Canadian version of the Oscar, but it that makes it sound a lot better than it is, I think. But it's now the Canadian Screen Awards. So okay, all right. So Canadian Screen Award nominee for 2012 with Beauty as well. <laughs> so what happened in 2017? I mean, yeah, the the uh, the crazy thing is you have to obviously you have to go through all of these hoops to even submit films to be nominated mm, at the Canadian right. Screen Awards, and yeah, I mean, just tough competition. You know how it is, and. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now I, at least I have that genie nomination and I can say that I was nominated for an award that doesn't exist anymore. Yes. <laughs> That's excellent. I, uh, yeah, we have a few awards for one of my films for all these film festivals that don't exist anymore. <laughs> so it's like <Yeah>. really impressive. <laughs> Best film at a festival that lasted two years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's just how it goes, I guess. So, You've done cursed films now with Shutter. Uh, this is a horror podcast, obviously. We we actually for just for our listeners, we did for a very brief period uh, a few episodes of a documentary podcast together. I was going to say uh, you you yeah. you missed out on the the you kind of buried the lead the documentary blog podcast. <laughs> That's true. We did uh, what like. I don't even 12 episodes or something, something or, like that. Yeah. It was around 10 sure. or so. Yeah. yeah. It was fun, fun while it lasted, but, uh, I didn't know what I was doing is... at all at that point. Like, <laughs> I, I, I had not, and not that I'm great now, but it was, that was my first experience podcasting and, uh, didn't, it was not smooth. I will say that. So, well, it's, I mean, everyone is obviously podcasting now. And even right. at that point with film junk, we've been doing it for 15 years now. So I, I think there was just a point for me where it's like, there's just too many podcasts, too many, yeah. uh, you know, nights where I would have to dedicate either to recording or to watching films for recording. And yeah. I just, just needed my life back. And now yeah. I'm just living my best life. That's That's great. Yeah. You know, for me, it was like doing all the filmmaking. I think we were doing filmmakers for every episode or we were trying to, and yeah, that's just a lot of extra work trying to get a yeah. filmmaker attached to every episode. Um, it's a pain in the butt. I mean, you've been very gracious with your time today, but generally that's not what I like to do anymore. If I can avoid yeah, talking yeah. to people, <laughs> bringing other people onto the podcast, that's ideal. Yeah. Um, so uh, I wanted to just talk just from like a nuts and bolts. I'm interested, I guess what I was going to say is this is a horror podcast, but I'm interested from a documentary point of view. How did this come to be? Was this something that you thought up and brought to Shutter? Was this something they approached you with? How? Where was the uh, beginning of this project? So Shutter brought it to me. Wow. Um, I and I pitched on it. It's not like they were like, you know, right at the gate. Here's a project for you, and it's right. You know, we are handing it to you. I, I had to pitch to them what my take on the material would be. So um, it was brought to me because I had a friend, uh, he's still a friend, but he's no longer at Shudder, Owen Shiflett, 
who was okay. working at Shutter at the time, and we he uh, this this project kind of came uh, across his desk via Robin Jones, who I think was the uh, initial person who had the idea of doing a show about cursed films, and he thought of me. I think mainly because I mean he's he knows I'm a documentary filmmaker, but I had just done a short documentary called Twisted about a local drive-in here in Niagara that was hit by a tornado in the mid nineties. And the, the urban legend is that a tornado hit the drive-in while the movie Twister was playing and tore the screen (laughs) down that Twister was playing on. And it hit, it hit during the scene in Twister where a (laughs) drive-in is hit and the screen is torn down. So it's like a, it's a crazy urban legend that has always been around here. And I did a short documentary just exploring that the, the legend and um, you know, why people agree and disagree about the details of what actually happened. And it kind of works like uh, it deals with some of the same subject matter as cursed films. So I think that was kind of what, put me uh, on the the map for potentially directing the series. Yeah. Well, and just knowing your interests as a film junk listener for many years, this seems to be like right in your wheelhouse and something you would have, that could have come from you. I could imagine you thinking of an idea like this. And I was interested because I, as I understand, you're kind of a non-believer. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that would be fair to say. <laughs> and so I, I love the idea of you then tackling this mythology and that's just a fun you have kind of this weird relationship with religious films and mm-hmm. especially horror films so how how did that kind of play into your attitude when approaching some of these stories i mean i th- i think it's so i'm a horror fan um yeah. and, and as much of a horror fan as i am a documentary fan so i guess that kind of is the perfect mix for this show um and growing up my parents showed me a lot of horror films uh, way before it was probably appropriate to show me them. And I'm sure that's probably the the familiar story for a lot of horror fans. And my family is not religious, but I remember seeing The Exorcist at a very early age and being completely freaked out by it. And Prince of Darkness, I was terrified by. And even though I'm not a religious person and I don't necessarily you know, believe in, um, the idea of, I certainly don't believe in the idea of demon possession and I am at best agnostic in terms of, you know, believing in God or what have you. I, I, I was, I'm interested in the fact that these films still affect me and many others the way that they do. Um, and so it, it just kind of makes you wonder about how horror films, get to the core of some primal belief in good and evil and what a film like the exorcist says about good and evil and, you know, flipping it on, you expect horror films to kind of come from a perspective of being potentially cynical towards religion or the, the existence of true evil. And I was very interested to hear about some perspectives which we explore in the exorcist episode of curse right. films about the idea of horror films as missionary tools. Even if the filmmakers aren't necessarily setting out to make a film, that's a missionary tool. They can 
for for many people in an increasingly secular society in a way uh remind people of the existence of evil even if they don't necessarily believe it 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 still affects people when they watch mm-hmm. it in a way that's that's very um uh you know like i said i i walk away from these films affected in a very real strange way even when i was cutting the exorcist episode going through the clips and trying to pull appropriate scenes and moments from the film i'm cutting it in my basement and just even <laughs> just going doing that you know i can feel a little bit of anxiety building and um you know just having to dip into youtube every once in a while to kind of break the tension and just pull up some like Amazon liquidation palette clearance video and watch someone <laughs> flipping, you know, old baby toys or something for a profit. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, I have a very, I, I, I guess I never thought of it as a very specific relationship to horror films with a religious perspective, but they're certainly the ones that affect me the most, yeah. it seems. Well, there, I, I don't remember if it was in the exorcist episode or, uh, the Omen, but there is some comment about how these two things kind of go hand in hand. And I thought that was really interesting perspective as well, that they yeah. have two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um, someone was asking here, uh, whether you and your crew ever got caught up in the notion of the curses you were investigating. Did you ever, were you, were you really immersed in that, the vibe of wh- whatever the film was you were talking about, or was there a step of remove the entire time? I mean, Yeah, I I don't think I ever got caught up necessarily, but I I certainly did get caught up in the enthusiasm that some of the subjects had for the possibility that the films could be cursed. Um, You know, the big challenge with doing the show is you set out to make a show about cursed horror films and the majority, you know, 98.7% of the people connected with those films don't think the films were cursed. And the ones that do are maybe not likely to want to express that opinion on camera. So, you know, what we didn't want to make something where we're just plainly debunking these ideas, but also, you know, didn't want to make something where we didn't acknowledge that to even have the conversation about these films being potentially cursed, let's at least look at that perspective. Like how can a film become cursed? If, if you were a believer that something like this could happen, then what would that look like? And the more you try to visualize that, I think the more unbelievable it becomes and maybe even the more kind of ridiculous it seems. And, you know, so we, we've, met with some black magicians and some people on, like <laughs> on varying levels of a, you know, degrees of kind of um, enthusiasm in terms of their actual practice, their practicing of black magic and the actual act of cursing something, you know, on one end yeah. there's Mitch Horowitz, Horowitz, who's a, an occult historian comes from a, from a very level headed academic perspective. And then on the other end is, E.A. Coetting, who's a self-proclaimed black magician who hosts his own YouTube show where he essentially teaches people how to use black magic to, you know, get the girl they always wanted or materialize a new motorcycle in their driveway, you know, like, <laughs> and, and even he, even though I do not 
kind of buy into anything he's selling, you do get caught up not necessarily in believing that what he's doing might actually be working, but believing that he thinks it's working and getting right. caught up in his perspective on that material. And and I always want to add, you know, when talking about these guys that they were all extremely friendly and a lot of fun to hang out with and to be around. And even though in the show, I think sometimes they can come across as, you know, it's been a, a weirdly divisive, um, I guess, element of the series where the the black magicians pop up or Vincent Bauhaus, the self-proclaimed exorcist pops up in our exorcist, mm-hmm. exorcist episode. And I think for some people, just the inclusion of those people means for them that the show is buying into that perspective. And it's mm-hmm. not, it's, it's simply exploring that side of the conversation because I feel like it has to be acknowledged. Right. So, you know, it, it was definitely an unusual experience and, uh, a, uh, an interesting one for me and one I'll always cherish and remember for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, when we watched EA Coetting cursing a film, I not really for a second believed that the film would actually, uh, go under the production would go under, but you know, we, we all know where we're at now where all productions <laughs> have essentially halted. <laughs> and I will say one of the films that he cursed is one of the films that is currently not in production. So no, he went too far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Take it back. A lot of collateral so, yeah. damage in that curse. <laughs> yeah. We had someone ask, uh, if you would mention which film was cursed. I, I personally would love to mention which film is cursed, but he, EA Quetting said that if you mention it, then it will, um, I guess uh, the the curse won't happen because then the person will know that they're cursed. And I, Shudder wanted didn't want to mention it. I think there's some weird legal thing, <laughs> oddly enough, that uh, concerns of sh- of mentioning a a film being cursed and whether or not that falls into some sort of legal <laughs> concern, which in itself is ridiculous. So. I was hoping they would curse your film. That's what I was thinking when the, when that was scene was happening. I said, "Oh, hopefully they're cursing the documentary. That would be well, very interesting." I, I was going to offer myself to be cursed, but then I thought, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's like too obnoxious, you know, going in and being like, "Okay, curse me if if this is real, curse me." So I, I didn't want to be that that guy. So we did we did land on a film that. Uh, I, I won't say it deserves to be cursed at all, but it's uh, yeah, it's people can watch the post credit sequence and try to lip read what he's saying. Okay. So I am curious, this is like super uh, sensitive subject matter for many of these installments. You're dealing with the deaths of real people. And mm-hmm. I wondered, were you ever nervous about approaching your interviewees with like, even just in the packaging of we're talking about cursed films maybe that it was like taking too lightly the death of a friend or a death of someone that they knew. And was that a difficulty just in the production to kind of, yeah, I guess come to it from that angle. Yep. It was, um, it was, it was, you know, the, the film at the, or the show at the time was just called cursed. So it wasn't, it wasn't called cursed films at the time. And that Mm -hmm. was a little easier. Um, but still it's, it's a show dealing with the idea of these films being cursed. But I think 
it was more about trying to work past all of the other uh, ways in which this material has been covered and mm-hmm. trying to convince the people that we're, we're attempting to do something different. Yeah. And I, my, my main concern was just offering people who maybe have talked about this time and time again with some agenda, um, you know, from the people who are interviewing them to kind of pull out some, some, uh, evocative, you know, sensational perspective on, well, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was cursed, but maybe, um, just going into it saying to them, we're not looking for that. You know, we, we want to talk to you about, about how you feel about the, the idea that people have talked about these films being cursed, but we want to offer you the chance to be completely open and honest about your, your feelings on that. And then I would basically use those uh, interviews to kind of gauge what the tone of that particular episode would be. So obviously mm-hmm. The Crow, Poltergeist, and Twilight Zone, the movie, the tone of those episodes are different than The Omen because when I interviewed Mace Newfeld and Richard Donner, their way of, of engaging the idea of The Omen being cursed was kind of a playful way Mm, you know right it's something they talked about many times and i think they have fun with it where where it's appropriate to have fun with it acknowledge some of the things that are kind of dark um but generally they they speak to that from a a a sort of tone that i think ended up guiding that particular episode whereas the twilight zone episode is basically watching a man continually breaking down for right. the entirety of the runtime. So I felt like that had to be reflected in the tone as well with a little bit of levity from Lloyd Kaufman. But I, I feel like that added to the, the narrative in an appropriate way. So, so yeah, it, w- it was a matter of just convincing them that we weren't just trying to perpetuate this idea of these curses without acknowledging the, their honest opinions on it. Because the weird thing is, to be critical, not that they were, were necessarily being critical of the idea of people perpetuating this, but we have to perpetuate it as well in order for people who right. don't know about them to know what the curses are. So we're, we're kind of adding to that, that legend while we're, we're also kind of uh, analyzing it and breaking it down and trying to figure out why we're so fascinated by it. Well, let's see. It says, was it a difficult decision to decide to show the accident footage from the Twilight Zone? And why did you ultimately show it? And I guess I would add to the listener's question, were you intending, if possible, to show any of these things? Like the Brandon Lee, for instance, was ever on the table that you would try to get the footage of that moment? Or how did you approach the real life deaths of some of these people? Yeah, I mean, the Brandon Lee thing, first of all, was not, the film footage was destroyed. So it doesn't exist. And even if it did exist, we wouldn't have shown it because- that's not what that episode was ultimately about. Like the, there, right. there is an overall arc to the series, even yeah. though they're individually kind of, they work on their own. They have their own narratives within each episode, but there is an arc there. And yeah. it was slightly disrupted because the episodes were aired on shutter out of sequence from what they were intended oh. to be aired. Really? So the poltergeist. Was the omen happened. intended to be last? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Because the, the, the Omen is really interesting because it's both. We were talking about this when we reviewed the series in the other part of this episode. Like that it's both simultaneously creepy, but then probably goes the furthest and kind of dissuading you of that notion of yeah of curses. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. I think it's it's more about the um, the Poltergeist episode was supposed to be first. So if you if you rewatch the show, knowing that you do the Poltergeist episode does work as sort of an introduction because it starts with people talking about the first time they've heard of a cursed film, and that right. film for a lot of people was Poltergeist. So you know, we start with that. And I think that episode establishes kind of our perspective on this material and would give you, hopefully would give you the information you need to move forward throughout the series and understand when we are being maybe, um, critical of say someone like Vincent Bauhaus, who's performing these exorcisms because the perspective of the show is one from a little bit of a more rational, viewpoint whereas starting with the exorcist episode you don't i don't think you've been given that information to calibrate you know your own um engagement with the series and and how whether or not you should be taking uh the inclusion of this person as some sort of you know discovery channel ghost hunter style like acknowledgement of maybe this is real it's really intended to be a way to demonstrate the legacy of the exorcist and how it shaped many people's religious beliefs and is kind of a complementary section with how the film ultimately affected Linda Blair and without coming straight out and, and having someone say this exorcist is a charlatan. I feel like we at least attempted or I attempted in the cutting to demonstrate that perspective without being too obvious about it. Um, and I'm completely satisfied with the way in which that was demonstrated in the series. If anyone has missed that, I won't blame them, but I'm not going to take any, um, I'm not going to lose sleep over it, Josh. Uh, (laughs) and, (laughs) but in terms of the tougher question of the twilight zone footage, it's a hard one because, you know, there's no real, I think right answer to that. And for me and for everyone involved, it was really about, again, allowing the episode to dictate how far we would push things. And the fact that that footage itself has a bit of a, I guess a sort of mystique surrounding it. People talking about knowing of its existence, but having never seen it. And Mm. all you have to do is type something into YouTube and you have access to five angles of the accident, including a close up of what happened to those people. And we chose the least graphic of all. It's still a very tough thing to watch, but it is not a graphic clip, but you knowing what happened, it's certainly enough to affect you in a very real way. And I, I think the inclusion of that was, to um again like having to retell the curses in order to then analyze the effect of perpetuating the curses that twilight zone clip was played on the news over and over when that case was happening when the trial was happening it was part of the court trial it it was made public because of that and it aired on the evening news 
and we have a clip of these evening news playing it back. And I, I cut out of it before showing the impact for the second time, but the impact was there on, on the evening news. So it's a part of the, the story and it's, um, a kind of hard one to digest and, and ethically yet yeah, is from the documentary perspective, it's a tough one to, uh, parse out and, you know, but, um, ultimately the call was made to include it because Richard Sawyer's interview was, I think, uh, powerful enough to kind of lead towards that, to accompany uh, what essentially is someone's post-traumatic stress disorder right. from having experienced that firsthand and to acknowledge the idea, I guess, that when you hear about someone like Heather or work or, or even a better example, Dominique Dunn being strangled by her boyfriend and you have no evidence of that happening other than reading about it in Vanity Fair, it's very easy to apply a curse to that or a legend to that and to have no problem talking about that in a very fun way. But when you have actual evidence of the resulting accident, I think it kind of cuts right to the core of the idea of a curse being ridiculous. So... Yeah. That's that's kind of the arc of the show in a way, um, and uh, that's that's where we landed. So yeah, it was a it was a tough tough decision that wasn't taken lightly, and you right. know it, it follows in the tradition of a lot of documentary films that have made similarly tough decisions to tell their stories. Right. Um, we had a listener here ask if there were other segments that maybe didn't make the cut, I guess I'd add to that. Were, were these always the films you were going to do uh, from the beginning or was there some discovery in that where you kind of debated or, you know, went down some paths that didn't take you as far as you had hoped? So we did have a sixth film. So originally the show was going to be three episodes, two films per episode, which would have been, you know, like crazy to, get that much material into a half an hour. Right. And I cut together those three episodes in a rough form. And then it was decided at that point that this was working and the, the, the show was expanded to five episodes and we dropped one of the films, which was the kind of most esoteric and kind of odd man out selection amongst the six, which was Tarkovsky's stalker which has a, a kind of cursed legend connected to it and isn't really a horror film. It, it's maybe a, an ex- existential horror film or like a, yeah, it, it leans, yeah, it leans more towards science fiction in many ways. Um, but it has a great story behind it. We did film for it, four interviews and actually cut hmm. like a, I actually cut a 10 minute, fifth, 12 minute chunk of that, episode um so that that was the one we lost in that decision and i'm hoping at some point maybe to be able to return to that but it it definitely the chill cut hashtag yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um it would have it would have stood out as amongst those films it would have stood out i think because the other five are so they're like the, the the kind of i think most talked about cursed horror films and stalker would have been a, an odd man out there, I think, but, but yeah, it was a, it was an interesting, uh, it's an interesting story that I hope to tell someday. 
Yeah, that sounds very interesting. Um, I would be interested in that. <laughs> That's enough for me. <laughs> so I guess people are wondering, are there plans for future episodes? You kind of alluded to that. Will there be a season two is, I guess, the bigger question. Is there Are there enough cursed films or have you said enough of what you wanted to say that there doesn't need to be a season two? I think there are enough films. I think we did say, I think season one does have a definitive arc. But I do think that there are other films that we could cover from maybe a slightly different perspective. And, you know, I, I think the episodes that were strongest for me did kind of work as, you know, they're, they're the episodes that really focus in on the production of the films. And then there are some that that kind of use the films to explore other concepts, like psychological concepts and um, ideas like magical thinking and coincidence and, and that yeah. stuff is all fun. I don't, I don't know that we need to revisit concepts like that again, but I think right. there are still interesting stories to be told about ill-fated film productions that for one reason or another have grown, you know, a reputation has come from those film productions. And in the cursed episode, Michael Shermer does this matrix talking about the difference between cursed horror films, non-cursed horror films, cursed non-horror films, and non-cursed yeah, non-horror films. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and there is something to be said about why horror films have this reputation of being cursed, but it'd be interesting to talk about some of the films that are maybe at the very least horror adjacent and how those curses interface with the the stories connected to those films. So I, I do think that there's more meat on the bone uh, and I would be interested in exploring some of that again. And it, it was just fun making the, the series, like being able to travel with a small crew and talk to fellow film fans, horror film fans, academics, and people who were actually involved in the making of some of my favorite films so I would love to, even just from a self-centered perspective, be able to, you know, do that again. I guess the one last question that everyone had is, are there any amazing stories that couldn't make the film that you could tell us about? Hmm. I mean, there was, uh, so in the Poltergeist episode, we go to the Poltergeist house with Sean Clark and talk about the idea of these homes that have been used in films and how they become uh, a point of interest for film fans. And, you know, I've done a lot of that myself. I don't know if you've been one of the people to seek out, you know, whether it's the, oh, the yeah. hedge from Halloween or, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, the Prince of Darkness church or whatever it might be. Definitely. And how weird it is when one of those lo locations is a home that people are, are, living in and right. so we went to the poltergeist home to kind of explore that idea that that idea that through the the idea of magical thinking when fans visit this site they have this connection to this location not just because it's a familiar place that they remember seeing in a movie that they have all of these nostalgic memories connected to but because it's a real a tangible representation of a site that in a film was considered to be cursed or or haunted by a poltergeist 
and they're there uh, experiencing that in real life. And that's kind of interesting. And then on the other side of that, the people who are living in it are themselves kind of cursed in the same way that the the Freeling family in Poltergeist were cursed and that they have to deal with wow. all of these people taking pictures yeah. outside of the home. So when we were filming there, the owner of the home actually pulled up as we were filming and he had just done groceries <laughs> and he pulled up and Sean Clark, you know, he's a fearless man. He's, he hosts his uh horrors hallowed grounds show that right. you find yeah. on many scream factory Blu-ray releases. And I'm sure has dealt with this kind of thing quite often. And he just went up to the home homeowner to ask him if he would be interested in, in talking on camera about living in the house and he the guy was not interested <laughs> he was just like <laughs> you know get the camera out of my face i don't want to be a part of this nope not interested i'm i'm done with these documentaries and and while it did really hit home the idea of these people in a way being cursed and us in an odd way, adding to that <laughs> curse, yeah, even though right. we would like to give them the opportunity to, to acknowledge their true feelings about that. Um, we ultimately couldn't really use the footage because he was so adamant about not being filmed that, right. um, that we didn't put it in the show. So that was, um, a bummer and I would have loved to have included that, but, uh, I mean, I can't blame the guy. <laughs> Yeah, for real. I mean, that's a really fascinating perspective, and it kind of is an extension of the Linda Blair segment as well, where we're yeah. kind of talking about the difference between how this impacted her life as opposed to the the Damien actor. And yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, I mean, if if you if someone goes to a haunted location or a, a location that was in a a horror film like the Poltergeist House or the Exorcist Stairs, and they get a weird vibe off of that location because its association with that film it's then that much stranger to apply that to a 12 year old girl. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And how that might affect your life. Yeah. 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 All right, Jay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Please tell people where they can find you online or anything you'd like to plug or send people to check out. I mean, obviously we're sending people to shutter on this episode to check out cursed films, but is there anything else people can support you with uh they can check out well i'm on twitter at at jay Cheel. i'm on instagram at j.cheel i am as you mentioned a co-host of the film junk podcast and you can find that on twitter at film junk and filmjunk.com and i think that's about it what about your other films where are those oh, available yes. just uh yeah I, I uh beauty day is available i think on itunes in the u.s and canada and other parts of the world how to build a time machine i think is only on itunes in canada but is on amazon prime in yeah. the u.s um so i would I would point them towards those films if they had uh, fun with cursed films or were affected by it in some in some way. I think Beauty Day and How to Build a Time Machine deal with ideas of of passion and obsession and cinema, so they might be interested in checking those out. Very cool. Thanks, and I'll we'll put I will put links to all of those things in the show notes at horrormoviepodcast.com if you missed any of those. Great. Thanks, Josh. Hey, thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. 
All right, thank you so much to Jay Chio for joining us and uh, for that excellent interview. I guess we have one more bit of news that we would like to address. Uh, I, I will leave it to either of you to make the pronouncement, as it were. Well, I don't know, Joel. I think you <laughs> deserve to make this Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, good news. Uh, well, well, quick side note. Uh, this is news related, though. I am going to be um, starting next week having my name legally changed to Kyle Bishop. Oh, yeah, there you perfect. go. Perfect. So, perfect. <laughs> I, I, as, as, I, as I heard that news, I couldn't I couldn't help but thinking of the first season of Gilligan's Island, you know, where Professor and Marianne are and the rest and the rest. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, OK, so so I know actually I, feel, I would I want Josh to Josh is Josh is the one who puts a ridiculous amount of time into editing this show. So I would like him to make the announcement, although it is ridiculous. Of course, everybody who's listening to this now probably already knows it. But go ahead, Josh. Well, for those of you who do not watch The Last Drive-In or are not caught up on the most recent episode of The Last Drive-In, we were very honored to uh, be awarded the Silver Bolo Award by Joe Bob and Darcy, which is just an incredible thing for us. You know, I just feel extremely humbled and grateful that they thought of us. And there, people have been wondering because as Joel alluded to uh, when they made the announcement, they mentioned uh, Jay of the dead and Kyle Bishop and, and forgot to mention Joel, <laughs> which uh, you know, I was thought, Oh no, when I heard about it. <laughs> but um, I think part of that is just, it's my fault or, or our fault. We have not yet updated the iTunes author page yet. And so I think if you do go on iTunes, it says, uh, Kyle Bishop and, and Jay of the Dead on there and not necessarily uh, Joel on there. So that's something we should probably change just in case things like this happen again. Thanks. But yeah. Yep. Go ahead. I was just going to say in case we win this again. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're in, you're out. Yes, of course. Right. Of course. But you know, it's uh, it, it's it was a big deal and Joel was a part of the show when this happened. Darcy contacted me a while ago and said, you know, we're going to do something special for some people in the horror community in this next upcoming season of uh, the last drive-in. So we kind of knew it was coming, but we didn't know for sure when it was, we thought it might be their Thanksgiving show or their Christmas show. And so we were kind of just waiting to hear, uh, you know, when it was going to happen. We weren't positive it was going to happen, but we thought something was going to happen. And then Joel, you had the chance to meet them at the spooky empire convention and what went down there. Yeah, it was in October, 2019. And I got to meet both Darcy and Joe, which is awesome. And I believe as I, I think that you showed me the tweet from I think it was Dirk Mark, right, who uh, mentioned what I had done, which was I brought him a book to sign in that book. He thought I might have actually stolen it from my childhood library, public library, because as, as I explained him the story, which was this was my first my first exposure to Joe Bob was his uh, I think the was it the second last drive in book and uh, or the, the second book he did. Uh, um, it was been like 1990 ish. And they had it at my at my little small town library, and I found it, and I and I and I contemplated. I was not the kind of kid that usually did things like that, but I contemplated because I did have books I lost, and I had to pay for them anyway. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe, and then I didn't. And so years passed, and I finally found it on eBay, and that was the one I took to Joe Bob. So just for the record, Dark Mark, I did not steal a library book. I am not <laughs> that low, um, and uh, so I got to meet him. I got to meet Darcy, and I had this really interesting to me experience not just meeting them which was cool but i also 
had the experience of I'm sitting there in my horror movie podcast t-shirt. And by the way, side story had just recently kind of gotten goofed on by Bruce Campbell for wearing that t-shirt, which was awesome. And, <laughs> and so I'm standing there and she kind of gets, she looks at my shirt and she gets this look on her face like, oh wait, yeah, like I know kind of like not you because you know you're whoever but like that i know that shirt and <laughs> she says that she uh had so she couldn't tell me details but that there was something that would be coming up in the next season that they were doing you know something award related uh and that uh hmp you know might be getting a little getting a little love so i thought that was awesome and then she said something i can't remember exactly where she put it but she said something about the name and uh, of the podcast and joe bob and the look on her face implied that maybe he goofed on it a little bit. And I said, oh, why? Because it's so. And then I tapped my nose. <laughs> and she goes, yeah. Horror movie podcast. Bad at picking names for podcasts. Great at reviewing horror movies. And I was like, awesome. So does that mean that twice? I think, think about it. Like, honestly, I could pretty much, you could just put a fork in me. I'm done. I've been goofed on by Bruce Campbell and by extension because of being part of HMP by Joe Bob Briggs. I'm good now. Life right. is good. So uh, honestly, uh, and, and as far as the whole name thing goes, I, I, I don't want to say I don't care because obviously it'd be cool to hear, yo, hey, Gilman Joel, that'd have been cool. However, uh, and I mean this sincerely, just being a part of the show and having the show get this honor was I, I'm over the moon. Okay, honestly, I, it is so cool. And honestly, I'm really glad that they mentioned Jay because Jay is one of the OGs. So I'm, I am very, very happy with the whole thing. And it was so wonderful of Darcy to consider the show. Uh, yeah, I'm sure she's got tons and tons of things she could choose from. And, and for her to pick this uh, was just awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agreed. I just felt it felt good. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was. It's it's nice to be appreciated by people you appreciate. Yes, that actually right. that's a really great way of putting it. Absolutely. I found out yesterday. I I went to bed early the night before. I wake up and there's a uh, a text there from Wolfman saying, uh, you know, Silver Bowler Award winning podcast. I was like, oh, okay, because you know we had we had sort of you know going back and forth about this, and sure enough, I go on Facebook and Twitter, and there's all these things like tweeting to me and Facebook and congratulations and all. I'm like, oh, so I guess everybody saw it but me. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to thank Dino was the first person who texted me, and he said, "Bro, you just got a shout out on Joe Bob," <laughs> which I thought was great. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. He said. Um, he said, I'm not going to lie. It got a little dusty up in here, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> That's cool. That, That's awesome, That man. was really nice of him to say. And we got just yeah. speaking of people we appreciate, we got so many nice messages. Shudder did their own post about it. And a lot of our listeners and also just people in the mutant fam, like, commented on that and, and left us really nice things. But specifically, a lot of people who uh, are listeners to the show, really nice messages from Horfan Ryan, Jessica Dwyer. Adam Dillon, Isaac Thorne, Halloween Year Round says, congratulations, horror movie cast on the Silver Bolo Award. You guys deserve it. Eric Yvonne says, Dave, Josh, congrats on your Silver Bolo. You too, Gilman. <laughs> and Matt Rawlings said, congrats to horror movie cast for winning the Silver Bolo Award. Joe, Bob, and Darcy, you forgot HMP host Gilman Joel. So people were looking out for you on there. They had your back. Oh, I will I will say this. I very much appreciate that. I think it's very sweet of all of you. And I, I will give a nod to Darcy and say that to Josh's point, I think it really comes down to the fact that the iTunes 
Andrew hasn't been updated, <laughs> which is yeah, not all I of us. That, you know, it's not yeah. as much on me, too. I'm just as capable of going in there and probably updating it. So, <laughs> Right. Milk Break Podcast is congrats to Horror Movie Cast on the Silver Bolo Award. As a fan from episode one, it's nice to see your awesome in-depth reviews and hard work pay off in the most awesome way. Fright Night Fats says, congratulations to Horror Movie Cast on your Silver Bolo. So deserved. Nice message from Willis, Armored Foe. Seth said, OMG, Horror Movie Cast just got the Silver Bolo Award from The Real Joe Bob and Darcy. Super great news for a great podcast. Congrats. <laughs> Jonathan Watkins said, congrats, guys. I think I've told you this before, but you were my first movie-related podcast I ever listened to. And, of course, Jonathan Watkins now is a writer for Cinema Sins, So that's kind of cool. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Rob Humphrey awesome. says, congratulations to the Horror Movie Cast on picking up a Silver Bolo Award. You guys deserve it. We got a congratulations from David Weiner, our guest from a few weeks back on the Body Snatchers episode. Trey Whetstone said, just saw some great news come across my Twitter feed. Congrats, Horror Movie Cast, for winning the Silver Bolo. It's well-deserved. Kid Phantasm, that's CB Bruno, says, Hooray for Horror Movie Cast. Been listening to them from way back. Deserve the honor and attention. Congrats on the Silver Bolo. Barely Ashley says, Ah, congrats to my favorite dudes. Carmen the Vampire Slayer says, Congratulations! Some insanely smart guys discussing film, theme, and the social and cultural impact of horror. If you are a horror fan, it should be at the top of your list. Oh, and subscribe to their Patreon and give them some love. Like, okay, now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth Young says, congrats, Horror Movie Cast. I feel dead proud. You guys definitely deserve this. Shane the Maniac, so awesome. Congrats to Josh, Dave, and Joel. Greg Bench says, just woke up to this. Very cool and well-deserved. Congratulations. Raul says, congratulations on the coolest shout-out. Well-earned, and even though the host lineup that was mentioned might be a little outdated, it's still effing awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Congrats, you guys, from Joe Craig. Fiendish Fitz said, congratulations to Horror Movie Podcast for being honored as the recipient of Joe Bob's The Last Drive-In Silver Bolo Award in recognition of their work to keep us all dead serious about horror movies. The Boogie Brand says, I'm brimming with pride, you guys. It's quite deserved recognition for your quality content. Love you guys. And those were the kinds of messages that I thought were great. There's there's so many longtime listeners who just take pride in this themselves. Like, they were there. They deserve it. They're the reason we're even on anyone's radar is that they took the time to listen to us. Someone yes. knew these people from the beginning. So I, I love that people are feeling their own sense of pride for being part of the HMP yeah. community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Allison Clark said, I was hoping this would happen. Congratulations guys. Ah, real films podcast said congrats to our fellow Florida. Well, one third of them horror podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And of course the great Peter Nelson said, well-deserved boys. So I, I, I really appreciate everyone. Absolutely. And that's just a handful. Those are the people who messaged us directly. Like I said, on the shutter post, a lot of our listeners, commented on there and of course a lot of new listeners hopefully and uh darcy the male girl said uh i am so sorry but you know we love you gilman congrats <laughs> uh, no apology necessary and i will also say i do want to thank all the listeners too because you know i came in like what a year and a half ago not even has it been a year and a half a year and three months some of that's coming up on it yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. and yep. and you know you all have been so wonderful and you embraced me i'm not gonna even try to front about it, it you know it's intimidating you know this show was a show i listened to all 
all the freaking time. Uh, I love Jay and I knew I could not remotely replace him. And so I wasn't even going to try, but I was just going to try not to be as remotely goofy as I am on Retro Movie Geek. So and I feel like if I've at least accomplished that, I've done something with my life. So uh, I'm just honored that all of you, especially uh, th- these two wonderful schlubs, have just you know put up with me for the better part of a year. I like that name. That's like a good band name, like the Fabulous Stains, the <laughs> right. wonderful schlubs. The schlubs. Wonderful schlubs. There wonderful you go. Schlubs. <laughs> um, well, when I found out, I did a quick post on Facebook and I had a lot of, uh, you know, relatives and all posting. Um, but there were a couple listeners, uh, just to shout out uh, Ashley. She put, duh, it's because you guys are amazing. Uh, but it was, uh, here it is. Uh, James McFetter said, congratulations. I was laughing though, because when Darcy was explaining to Joe Bob, why HMP was deserving this award, she mentioned how you guys were cool enough to spend multiple episodes covering the puppet master franchise. And I remember how much fun you all had doing those episodes. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm very proud to say I actually wasn't here yet. Thankfully not to be outdone. You brought us back with tiny terrors. (laughs) And I was part of the leprechaun franchise. Discussion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. What I will never forget. <laughs> Very nice. Well, thank you to, of course, Joe, Bob, and Darcy, especially Darcy, for being willing to scour the internet to find those of us who are not at the cool kids table to give us a little <laughs> extra love. We we need it and we appreciate it. Absolutely. But especially also to all the amazing listeners and all the support. The outpouring of love has been incredible. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Then I got a post and also on, on Facebook, Jay Wall had uh, congratulated us and, and Bill Van Vagel, the co-host from Land of the Creeps, had uh, sent a congratulations straight to us as well. It really is humbling in a way because you, you just don't, for me especially, I mean, I, I just come on and talk movies. That's really all I do. And it really is humbling is all like I come back to with that to, to receive an award like this and, and be part of it just for doing something I love to do anyway. And it, it's just... Uh, it's, it's really something. It was very special. It's essential and it keeps it all together. And honestly, it adds a layer of, you know, depth and richness and knowledge that I think everybody would agree is profound. Well, I, I appreciate that. But I'm saying you guys do a lot more work behind the scenes. By comparison, I'm like, yeah, I go up and I take a shovel and I dig like a, a scoop of dirt and I flip it out. And then I hand the shovel to Josh and go, eight more feet, buddy. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> right. I know. Josh has been working so hard yes. uh, for so long. And Absolutely. I, 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 I say it to everybody. He's, I think he's the reason we got this award. I really do Absolutely. with all of the work yep. he does yep. um, behind 100%. the scenes. And, um, you know, it, it, you definitely definitely deserve the kudos, um, you know, for this. I I absolutely think so. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I I don't agree with that, but... (laughs) All right, so that wraps this episode up. We'll put this one to bed. And uh, if you're looking to find the Wolfman on the interwebs, you can be sure to follow him on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. And of course, he also appears on the Gods and Monsters Universal Monsters cast. And you can follow that particular podcast at Monsters Cast on Twitter. And you can find Dr. Shock, the one and only Dr. Shock at DVDinfatuation.com, where he's got, you know, like a, like one or two reviews for you to read, you know, times 
2000 and change. And you can also follow him on at DVD Infatuation on the Twitters. He's also on Facebook. And of course, the Gods and Monsters Universal Monsters Cast podcast as well. You can also find him on Land of the Creeps. And you got to check out his YouTube channel because he's been adding content to it. And I'm just waiting for the episode where he gives us a parade of him modeling his kick butt horror t-shirts and horse skirts and horse skirts <laughs> all to right said Fred's I'm too sexy <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> and I can be found at retromoviegeek.com we have a Facebook group go check that out and uh, we also you can check out Terror on the Tube where we cover horror made for TV movies from the 70s 80s and I think we've done like one from 1990 or something like that but basically the 70s and the 80s check that out Gods and Monsters Universal Monsters cast ForgottenFlix.com which is sort of was the proto retro movie geek we love reading and responding to your comments so we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community you can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com where you can find this and all of our past episodes you can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Movie Cast. And if you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. You can get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com forward slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 at patreon.com forward slash movie podcast network. And also do not forget to try Shutter free for 30 days. Just go to shutter.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the horror movie podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Darcy, okay. Darcy the Mail Girl to bring us the podcaster of the week or the blogger of the week. Which is it? Is it a blogger or a podcaster? I think this week we have a podcast. Okay. Darcy is a blogger herself. You update kinky horror very erratically. I mean, it's a blog, not a newspaper. Okay. I update it when I have something to say. Okay. I got to ask you about this week's winner of the Silver Bolo, Ooh. which I have here. As you can see, the silver bolo is genuine silver. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, thank you, Yuki. Take the silver, the genuine silver bolo. Thank <laughs> you. Um, first of all, who, who is it? Who's the winner? The Horror Movie Podcast. Which horror movie podcast? That's the name of it, Horror Movie Podcast. That's the lamest name ever. <laughs> They're all horror movie podcasts. I think that's probably why they don't get the attention they deserve. All right. Well, when you told me you, you let, earlier that you had a winner, you used the word groovy. I did. <laughs> You've never said groovy. the word groovy before. <laughs> Groovy's like a 1966 Nancy Sinatra word. So what makes these guys groovy? They're just like really smart and very engaging. Any podcast that dedicates two three-hour episodes to the Puppet Master franchise is awesome. All right. Well, you're the expert. So we'll be sending out the official <laughs> Silver Bolo. To Jay of the Dead, 
Wolfman Josh Legary, yep. uh, Dr. Shock, and Kyle Bishop. Those are the four hosts of Horror Movie Podcast, which Yay. is based in Salt Lake City. Is there such a thing as Mormon horror? No, oh, yeah. You've seen Mormon horror? Up close. I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> okay, Horror Movie Podcast. Bad at picking names for podcasts, great at reviewing horror movies. <laughs> One other little bit of news, if you missed it, there's a 10-minute David Lynch short film that went up online. It's available to watch if people want to check that out. You can just find it on the David Lynch Theater YouTube page. Okay, cool. It's called Fire Posar. Did you guys, I didn't watch it yet, but I did save it because I felt like just from the little bit I saw that it was so absurd as I just laughed out loud. On Netflix, this black and white thing started playing. It's David Lynch and in him talking to a monkey who I believe is smoking a cigarette or is, there, or is David smoking? I don't know. Somebody's smoking a cigarette and the monkey starts to talk. Have you, have you, do you know what I'm talking about? It's on Netflix. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Hold no. on. David Lynch talking monkey <laughs> movie <laughs> Netflix. Let me see what it, hold on. <laughs> what did Jack do? That's what it's called. It's called it's it's okay. what did Jack do? It's directed and written and edited and apparently starring David Lynch. It's called what did Jack do? A 2017 American black and white short film. I love the audience reviews. Greatest thing I have seen yet. <laughs> like ever. <laughs> yeah. David Lynch interrogates a talking monkey. It, it's so weird. Like it just I mean, of course, it's weird, but it starts up and you're just like, what in the hell? <laughs> It's happening. Yeah, it's like him interrogating this this talking monkey. Wow. The monkey is suspected of murder. Sounds like about right for David Lynch. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very Lynchian. And also due to the recent announcement that the Zack Snyder cut, hashtag release the Snyder cut of <laughs> Justice League is actually going to be released in 2021 on HBO Max. Um, there are a lot of people calling for the release of the Craven cut of uh, Cursed. Because apparently Miramax and Harvey Scissorhands did a lot of no. chopping to Wes Craven's Cursed. I even everything I've seen about that film, I don't think I would be interested in it, watching a new cut of it anyway. Yeah, I but. saw that when it came out, and I have not watched it since. I remember being epically disappointed in that movie. Brutal. Yeah, I I am a huge werewolf file, so I had to get it. And then you know, I watched the Blu-ray, uh, the DVD, I guess at the time and all the special features a hundred times. And, but it's still, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. It was disappointing. Now oh, Eisenberg was in that, right? Wasn't he the, it was, I think it was his, I don't know if it was his first movie, but it was, I remember him talking about, he did a little behind the scenes documentary on the DVD that he directed. Huh. And he talked about, I think it may have been the first film he actually filmed. It was not the first that came out. Okay. But I think it may have been one of the first films he actually filmed. Cause I remember on that behind the scenes doc, him talking about what an amazing experience it was and how much he was learning from Wes Craven and how he's just a fanboy. And it was kind of cool. I remember at the time, <laughs> <laughs> one last little just thing I will share. Cause I thought it was cool. Uh, Justin Benson. Uh, he's one of the directors of resolution and spring and the endless he just tweeted out something I thought was cool. He said, last weekend, I watched a dark song in the resolution cabin at midnight. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Because clearly, the, you know, they have access to that cabin. And he just went up and watched a dark song in there. And yeah. a, a dark song is just an incredible movie, I think. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. Obviously, it's very much an art house film, but I just think it's fantastic. 
No, so. I really, I loved, I th- I thought the uh, Dark Song, I, I remember having a little bit of a an issue with the very end. Oh, I but, love uh, my favorite part. <laughs> uh, no, I can't say it was my favorite part. But I think the movie just overall was just, you know, the idea of just these two people and, yeah. um, and kind of the... Uh, the relationship that develops between the two of them and what the woman is ultimately trying to accomplish, I thought was, uh, was really something. And I, I love that setting too. Yeah. I, I love everything about that movie. The ending is certainly not what I expected or where as a horror fan, I kind of hoped or thought it would go, but I, I think it was transcendent. Like it's it such a bold move. It's executed so strongly. I just thought, wow, this movie is amazing. Not for yeah. everyone, but if you haven't seen a dark song yet, it's worth checking out. And of course, there's a lot of cool stuff on Shutter right now. We are going to be focusing specifically on Cursed Films this episode. But if you haven't checked it out yet, I would say the new season of The Last Drive-On with Joe Bog Briggs and Darcy is a lot of fun. Yes, it is. Um, I've certainly enjoyed watching along with those guys. They did One Cut of the Dead the other day, which was on our top 10 lists. Yes. And uh, man, it was so much fun watching it with their input. Even if you've seen the movie, it's just so fun to see what Joe Bob's going to say about it. You know what I mean? I always enjoy that. Well, they also covered, uh, I believe, one of uh, Dave's top 10 movies of all time, Troma's War. <laughs> <laughs> I actually enjoy, I actually, uh, well, yeah, I do like Troma's War, but I'm a Troma. <laughs> yeah. Fan, so. No, it, it is it is an enjoyable <laughs> movie for all the wrong reasons. And his conversation, I don't know, did you see the part with his conversation with Uncle Lloyd? That was very entertaining. Lloyd is a special guy he's he's just an amazing person i i met him on the yeah. street of new york city one day um i'm in new york with my wife she has no idea who lloyd kaufman is and if i told her she'd have less respect for me that i could recognize him <laughs> on the street and uh we're walking down the street in new york city and i see the kramer bus and we're stopped there looking at the kramer bus and just thinking how funny it is that it exists and I turn over, I'm like, holy crap, this is trauma. And I and we're standing right out in front of the trauma building. And then at that exact moment, Lloyd Kaufman walks out of the building with a young lady. And uh, he was very pleasant. And I chatted him up for a few minutes and he did not resent that at all. He was super nice. And I got my photo with him and I don't know where that is now. I'm yeah, I would love to see my that stuff. But if, if I mm. if I'm able to locate it, I'm going to post that photo of me and Lloyd Kaufman on this episode. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. He's he's a great guy. Everything I've ever seen with him, it just he's I don't know. Obviously, he's a provocateur and he goes out of his way to be as shocking as possible. But the dude is just really smart and he's very, very funny. And he seems like he legitimately gives a crap about his fans like he seems to truly yeah. care so uh yeah no it's, He's it's humble cool. and he he really knows where he is at in the film industry and does not mind it at all he's just a very cool humble guy yes yeah he embraces it and i and i respect that i think it's cool yeah he's got he's got his niche and Absolutely. he owns it so yeah it's and awesome it's, it's, it's that documentary they did all the love you cans because troma would always go to the con film festival yes <laughs> right it's kind of funny because he's giving tips you know like lloyd kaufman uh this is steal the peanuts from the plane because food in, in cons is very expensive <laughs> you know giving little tips like that and it's just so much it's very interesting to see the the trauma gang walking through the con film festival also on shutter right now is the 80s australian movie next of kin oh, which cool, i believe cool, josh cool. was yeah. your uh, pick for 
the uh, the older movie that you saw in 2019, or the I guess the uh, the classic movie you saw in 2019 that uh, stayed with you, or yeah, which was thanks favorite. to you because uh, that had been a listener recommendation yes. on our at your mercy, mercy. listener yep. pick, yeah, yeah. And so next of kin is available on Shutter right now. Tons of cool stuff. And that's just actually scraping the. Uh, what do you call it? The, scraping the, the surface, the, the surface, surface. Yes. Scraping, scraping the surface. Yeah. yeah. Scratching the surface. Scratching the surface. Scratching <laughs> the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Scraping the bottom <laughs> of the barrel is usually what yeah. one does. You. Yes. Right. <laughs> I, I just have a quick question. Anybody know where Pastor Matt's church is? Because if I rolled up into somebody's church, they're like, so your first thing you do when you when you come here uh, to be part of the congregation is um, we watch The Exorcist. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Say what? Uh, I do know it is, but I don't know if he's announcing that online. So okay. Okay. I'm not okay. Okay. Anything. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Check out Father and Son Watch Horror. Absolutely. If you want to uh, learn more about Pastor Matt's pastor. Yes. Yes. It, yes. It's, it's a great, great show. I love that show. And in fact, they covered the entire Actresses franchise on that show. So it would be fun to go and listen to their take on the film. Oh, I, I can't remember the actor who played. Um... Oh, are you talking about uh, Kane? Yes, they sort of talk about him with the curse, but the, the I think I had read somewhere that that he actually knew he was dying prior to taking that role, or that he was already sick prior to t- taking that role. Yeah, I think he may have been sick. Yeah. So I don't know that that fits with the curse. Will Sampson, you can make a case for because of uh, I guess he died like in his fifties or something. You say, okay, yeah, that one's that one might might fit in. As a punk, <laughs> there was something like it was kind of like. Even though they were so close, goth and metal seemed like arch nemeses to me when I was okay. when I was in high school. I don't know what it, what that thing is because they're very they're very similar, and I like those aesthetics a lot more now. But there was something about that time I just didn't appeal to me. And also, I will say there was a dude at my high school, two guys actually, who were these karate. This is a huge divergence. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay, no, do it. This outtake but there were these two guys who were super into karate they had their own studio they were kind of the stars of this local karate studio and one of the guys claimed that he was the basis for the chuck norris movie sidekicks that he was supposed (laughs) the kid in that movie was based on him okay and uh anyway they would do these demos at our school every year you know where they would do flip you know they would do these giant running jump into somersault flips and kicks and everyone hated it for some reason it was cool like looking back again now thinking about it like wow those these kids can do some pretty amazing acrobatics or whatever for our age nobody else in our school could do this but at the time i don't know they were just like everyone hated these kids and they would walk around with brandon lee makeup on oh all the time with like trench coats and be doing like karate you know, parkour off of the walls and stuff and it just wasn't my scene yeah <laughs> they, they were trying a bit too hard let's just say i think so well anyway I, yeah yeah i don't know it was a time thing same reason i don't like limp biscuit is the reason i don't like the <laughs> is Kristen dunst in this movie or is that the sequel that's the sequel god let's not go there oh my god the sequel's horrific and not a, not in a good way i just remember her talking about how eating onions made her fart or something like that <laughs> wow what do you remember about your experience they farted a lot. <laughs> Remember Kristen Dunst talking about onions making her fart. 
<laughs> wow. And that and honestly, that's probably the best thing you could say about that movie, if I'm being honest with you right there, what you just said. I don't know if either of you have seen his other, you know, the little action movies he did. I'm pretty sure I saw Rapid Fire. Showdown Little Tokyo, I feel like I probably watched at least part of, but I don't really remember anything about it. Um, but, you know, they're not great movies. And he definitely showed athleticism in them. Look, John Landis is probably responsible for me going into filmmaking because Thriller was really the first thing that really made me want to make movies. Mm. You know, American Wolf in London is one of my favorite films of all time. Yep, yep. So I'm curious because everything I know about it, frankly, it's not that well researched, you know, if I'm totally honest, but I've held him responsible in my heart uh-huh. and just kind of written him off really ever since I heard this story about this film. I'm curious how much of the blame cursed films lays on John Landis's feet. Uh, well, it, uh, quite a bit. James Cameron, maybe his Avatar two and three is is his uh, <laughs> is his Twilight Zone could, movie. Could very well be. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I went to the Prince of Darkness church and had the a Prince screening. Yeah, church, yeah, yeah. Which is it featured here? I was happy to see that featured in one of the shots. Yeah, yeah. Don't sell yourself off as the Ringo. Oh, right. George. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, George. George. You know, I wouldn't mind being George. George wrote some good, wrote something, and that's one of my favorite Beatles. So I can go with that. I, I would normally I would take George. He would be my go-to, but I did play the bass, so I feel like I have to go with Paul. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess then that begs the question. Then does that make me uh, who is the fifth Beatle? Am I Pete Best? No, you're, no, no, you're no, John. You're, you're John. Unfortunately, <laughs> at this point, Jay might be Pete Best. Oh, okay, okay. Hey, but here's the deal. At least you were a Beatle. That definitely makes Kyle Ringo award worthy for this award. <laughs> yeah, that could be it. Yeah. Probably should cut all that part out. <laughs> Hold on one second. I know what I got to do. Okay, okay, okay. No worries. Yeah, I'm here. I, I know what I got to do. I I, um, I told my son to uh, to get offline, and I don't think he did. So I'm... <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna drop the dad hammer uh, yeah let's pause his ass for 30 let's pause his ass for 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and with a push of a button there we go yeah okay i feel like we don't have a segue <laughs> hold on I'm- um i do